Hello, hello, Daryl here. Uh, episode 31. Uh, unfortunately, Johnny, who's the other half of the podcast, couldn't be here. Um, he's got an ear infection, but uh, hopefully he'll get well. Um, I'm sitting here with Damien Petrelli. How are you going? Good, mate. How are you? Good, good. Um, now, for those that don't know, I do play the drums, and I think Damien is probably the reason that I continued or um, that, I, <laughs> that, I'm, that I'm here where I am. Um, and the reason I say that is because your, your teaching techniques are completely different to, to any other teacher I've gone with. Most um, organised, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you come from a totally different angle where you um, get the student to kind of explore their own way of, of interpreting things. Sure. And um, you instill that kind of passion to want to, to learn and be inspired as opposed to just, you know, regurgitating um, beats and syncopation and stuff like that. But you, you framed it in a really interesting way. Um, was that like something that you knew you had or was that kind of the direction that you knew you wanted to, to teach in or was that kind of just how, well, I, how it came out? I'm just stoked you remember the word syncopation. <laughs> Great stuff. Um, look, I, I, um, it's, it's twofold for me because obviously the role of a teacher's it's hugely important and, and regardless of what you're teaching, mm-hmm. you know, the, the student, I honestly believe, and I think I might have told you this back when, I won't say what age you were, but back when you were doing <laughs> lessons with me that um, the student becomes the artist that they are. It, it, the teacher shows them the door, the, the student's got to walk through it. Mm-hmm. And so there has to be uh, an element there where you've got to discover yourself. And, yeah. and um, back around the time that I was teaching you, th- there was uh, the makings of a book that I had and, and it forced me to really think about how I was taught when I was in school from various teachers, you know, what, was, what worked well on me, what didn't work well on me. Um, and, you know, I always found that, that there's more than one way of teaching something, and I think that there's more than one way that a kid's going to get it, mm. you know, whereas you might be able to give the real theoretical approach with one kid and say, well, you know, beats one and three has this and beats two and four has that, and he can visualize it in his head, mm. and then it becomes just an issue of, of coordinating it. With another kid, the, you know, the visualization may not be there, but the coordination is. Mm. So um, I went about sort of constructing lessons that I could pitch varying ways just depending on how i noticed the kid was was able to absorb that information Hmm. um but yeah so so i've had teachers who were very clinical and and you know that worked on me i was very much a clinical kind of person give me the facts give me the you know the ones and the zeros and all that sort of stuff and you didn't dot your i or cross your t sort Mm -hmm. of thing yeah um but then i'm all i'm also a pretty creative person you know, musicians generally are, but, you know, I like my art and love my movies and all that sort of thing. So I, I'm the kind of person that will take an idea and I'll expand on it. Uh, and you were the same, I think, you know, because I remember with you, I could show you one pattern that was, you know, a pretty standard, almost boring theoretical exercise. And you'd come back next week, not just having learnt it, but but used it in four different ways, mm. you know, and that's yeah. great. You know, they always make the best students because you know that when they walk out of that lesson, they're going to create their own lessons to help them, mm. you know, to help that gel into their playing because if you, if you learn a whole bunch of patterns and you don't ever use them, it's, it's a waste of time, mm. you know, and um, the more you play, the more you realise that, that you sort of, you get good at some things and, you, and you, you've learnt some other things, but they fall away and you don't, you don't remember how to do them or you don't... Yeah put them into your playing because they just don't gel yeah you know so with the student and with my pitch it's all about first of all as a teacher making sure the kid 
is getting is getting the information in a way that I know they're going to absorb, right? Uh, and being armed to to go into that, you know, a couple of different ways. Yeah, and once it, you hit it, you'll see it. Yeah, everyone learns differently. Yep. I mean, some people are visual, some people are from audio. I think um, I'm not sure. I think I'm a mixture of. Uh, Physical is that physical where you actually go through the motion of, of doing it? Uh, practical, I guess. Yeah, practical, practical, and um, audio. Because I, I, if I could, if I couldn't visualize a certain beat, if you were to just sing it to me, I would know exactly what you meant. Mm-hmm. So um, then I try to kind of apply that to okay, that's what it, that's what signifies this in you know visually and stuff like that. But yeah, I definitely think I was more of a, a listener. I think, and I learned the most from listening to music, and then trying to imitate. That's all I did. That, yeah. that, you know, that is that is the life lesson for a musician. Mm. I think you know playing, and that usually is what motivates a lot of people to start playing in the first place. Mm. And that's the other key point. I mean, a teacher needs to be able to, in, in ways, motivate. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, probably more than anything in those first couple of lessons, it's me that's learning from the student. I mean, I've got my, my, my things that I need to show, but I need to identify what is this student, you know, what's he capable of? Mm-hmm. What's pushing the right buttons in terms of his motivation, his passion? Why is he sitting there? Mm. You know, has he seen somebody on TV that he wants to be just like? You know, does he have a style that he wants to play? You know, mm. can I cater my lessons so that when he's learning those things, he's hearing those things in that, that goal that he's got, within that goal? Mm. You know, for me, I was a huge Metallica fan at the time and, and um, I wasn't even interested in drums at, the, at, at that point, mm. you know, but um, once I sort of discovered the drum set, to me, I just had this vision in my head of being in Metallica, you know, as much as it never would happen, when I first went to that Metallica concert, you know, sort of 90, I think it was 92, 93, mm-hmm. I saw that there and I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's what drumming is. It's not about just me playing all these parts in my garage or jamming with friends, as cool as that is, mm-hmm. there's a goal there. There is something that, like at the core level that makes me want to just go, yeah, this is why I want to play drums. This mm-hmm. is what I love. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, you know, I think all of your lessons and everything you learn and everything you try, you've got to keep that goal in the back of your mind. And the good thing is, is as you learn, you know, you'll have smaller goals within that that you'll try and reach first mm-hmm. and um, keep them simple. And by the time you get to that one goal, you've learned enough to know that there are you know, new peaks that you want to sort of get to uh, and, and thus shapes your career. Mm. You know, a good teacher will be in, in line with that with you. He'll understand that. He'll see that happening in you. Say, so, well, I thought you've, you know, you've done really well with this and I can see that you're motivated by this particular pattern or exercise mm-hmm. that I've shown you. Let's, let's go off on this tangent for a little mm. while. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing that. I think a syllabus is good, but only if it's used. And, and I think there's a certain amount of information that a student needs to get and develop in order to have competence. But then I think that that is the foundation for them to go, well, now I've got the skills for me, up, for me to be able to relay what's in my head out onto the instrument. Mm. And this, of course, applies to all instruments. But now that I've got that dexterity, what do I want to do with it? Mm. What's exciting me? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's where I prefer that students come to me going, well, look, I want to do this. Help me do that. Yeah. You know, rather than a student coming to me going, make me good. Yeah. You know, which is just, it's far too vague. Yeah. You know, I mean, you look at guys like, uh, you know, your Dave Weckles and guys like that as drummer. Fantastic, great players, great musically, great, you know, in terms of their dexterity and their proficiency. Then you've got, you know, bigger names like your Ringo stars, mm. you know, who people would argue are not that great technically, but always put the right part to the song, mm. always had a certain flavor or a style that mm. no other drummer actually could emulate, yeah. you know, and he was, so he was perfect for that. You know, so it's not just about dexterity. It's not just about musicianship. It's that mix of both. Mm. Um, and you know this in bands, you know, you take yeah. all of your skills into a band, half of them get thrown out and it becomes almost 
uh, a consolidation between all the players. Exactly. Yeah. And a certain um, a certain sort of formula develops there, mm-hmm. and uh, it either works with all of you together or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, and if it does, that's fantastic, and it will never be the same with any other muso that comes mm-hmm. in or out of that band. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And yeah. Then, but that that's the exploration that that musicians need to have. They need to discover what works, what's right for them. Because yeah. if if you don't do that, you'll never be a unique player. And I think that's one of the best things you can have going for you is when someone hits a drum go, oh, oh that's that's Daryl. I know yeah. that sound. I know mm-hmm. that fill. I know that that sort of that push that he's got in his beat. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's cool. I, I love hearing individuality because there's so much music around. Mm. It's harder to be an individual than it is to be, you know, the most proficient. Yeah. I mean, anybody can yeah. get there with practice. Mm. I'd love to have your own sort of signature on your music. I think that's the, that's the coolest thing to aim for. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, definitely... My favourite drummers haven't been that technically inclined at all. I think I enjoy seeing the package on stage. Sure. Like, um, the, even just personality or the way they hit, the way they move, I think is, I think visually, um, yeah, the drummers that strike me aren't that, that technically orientated. It's a sale. It's a, they are mm. selling something that's identifying with you. Yeah. And that's yeah. what Metallica was, because I didn't know any of the drum parts. Mm. I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't even about Lars the drummer necessarily mm-hmm. that wanted me to, to do drums and get into it. It was just that band was firing. I mean, mm. they were just cranking on stage and there was no laser shows or video screens or anything like that. It was just them and attitude, mm. you know, and um, people now, I think especially the younger generation, they'll look at someone like Lars and go, oh man, he really can't play. It's like, guys, you, you don't get it. Yeah. You know, th- what makes this guy influential is not just the playing. Mm. If you're seeing just the playing, then you're focused on just the playing mm. And you haven't got the full uh, idea of it yet. Yeah, you know? yeah. Mm. Um, I, I yeah. There's one thing I can't really stand is is kind of musical elitism, so to speak, where you know there's a lot of people out there that think technical, like how technical a person is, proves what their worth is in the band. And I think it's the complete opposite. I think mm. it's um, everything down to their personality, how they fit with the band, how they gel. Um, do they know their place in the band is a big one because I know a lot of players, a lot of drummers that um, don't know how to kind of hold back a little bit and kind of see where they fit in the band and then contribute within that space. Um, there's a lot of definitely playing. guilty of that myself. I yeah, can tell you, mate, yeah. for over the years, yeah. But but that's that's the maturing of the player. Exactly. Yeah, that that comes with wisdom just from time, from I- just playing in bands and. Um, working with different people all the time, and I-, I love being out of my comfort zone as well. Like I play in you know indie bands and folk bands and stuff like that, where the the restriction becomes a new way to express yourself. Sure. And um, I think I'm way more innovative when I have less than if I have more around me. So, I-, I think that's yeah. correct. I think if you you know you give a kid a box of pencils and tell him to draw a picture, off he goes. You take all the pencils away but one and say, draw me a picture that's interesting, then it gets hard. Mm. And then you see what the person's really made of. Yeah. You know, and, and as I said before, I'm guilty of that. I mean, I, I started out playing in, you know, progressive and metal bands and mm. all that sort of stuff, and it was, you know, as many notes Sister as you G. could. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> and, and, and as fun as that was, and as much as I actually still enjoy going back and listening to it, it certainly sort of depicted a moment where it was all about, I guess, you know, to an extent, proving yourself and mm. and looking back and being able to say well i know you know as i was younger that's that's kind of what it was and, and that that's fine i mean that's everybody goes through that yeah yeah you know now i'm sort of playing in bands it's, it's two four country stuff half the time and mm-hmm. a lot of it's not even original stuff anymore which just mm-hmm. it would have been an absolute sin to do that when you're an 18 year old you know you you spent your day 
giving a hard time to those people who sold out and played covers and, (laughs) you know, or look at you, man, you can't do these drum fills. Yeah, yeah. You you hear so many... I I remember I hear um, artists... You know, when they're getting older, going, hey, man, it's not all about the drum fills. It's like, yeah, well, you're just too old to play them now, sort of thing. Yeah. Then you get older and you really start to understand that, that you know, it's true. Mm. You know, it's true. You, you can do them, but you get sick of doing it. Mm. And you listen to a part, and I'm sure you've heard this. Yeah, you, you go and record an EP, and maybe you're out of your comfort zone. You're playing something that you haven't, you know, oh, yeah. really felt like you're on top of. Yeah. So you scale it back. Maybe you're forced to. Uh, and then you hear the, the EP, you know, with everything on this. Like, man, it doesn't sound like me. That's a good thing. Mm. You know, I don't want to hear another album of me. I want to hear something that I haven't done before. Mm. I want to hear some- And if that means pulling it right back and you're you're um you're excited by the space that you've now got in your playing. Yeah. Man, that's that's success. That's a mm. win. You know, move on to your next album off you go. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I I've, I've been in situations um where people are surprised at my discipline to to play something repetitive over and over that is, you know, what would be considered quite boring. Um, but I don't know. I think as I get older, I learn to just appreciate that space, that beat for what it is and sure. play every note. Because you can have the most simplest beat, and I'm sure you know this, but just the way you accent it sure. or the way you put a little oomph in the snare or, or how you, you rim shot it, just makes all the difference. Well, that's that one yeah. pencil. That's that yeah, one pencil. Exactly. So yeah. I'm only hitting a snare kick and hi hats in this. What, mm. You know, can I change the way it sounds? Yeah, mm. you can do that a million ways. Can you swing it a little bit? Can you do a little bit of this and harder on the kick, but softer on the hats, but keep the snare the same volume? Mm. You know, a, a lesson I used to teach a lot, and um, I think it's an important one, is can you play fast and slow, and can you play slow and hard? Because mm. you know we've got a natural tendency to tense up when we play fast and we play and we play louder as a result. Yeah, having total control over dynamics is not as easy as it sounds. Mm. You know, a good example is ACDC. You know, probably some of the most you know on the surface at least simple and repetitive drum beats. But mm-hmm. try getting on there and doing it like they do. You know, I was saying before about everyone's got their own signature sound and their their own unique approach. Mm. You know, whether it be Chris Slade, whether it be Phil Rudd. All of those guys that have played for ACDC, it's never sounded the same when the next guys come and sat in that chair. Mm. And it's not as simple as just getting on there and saying, okay, well, I know what this beat is. Let me play it. You know, is it 100% together? Is it in front of the bass drum, uh, the, the bass guitar? Is it behind? Mm. You know, all of those little nuances, that's when you really start getting inside the beat. And, and I think that's, it's a core thing that you can't even hear when you first start playing mm. it's all about getting as much information as you can and it's only once you do one or two albums where you, you realize that your playing isn't all that together or that it doesn't really fit what mm. everyone else was doing that's when you start waking up and you start listening a little bit more globally to what's mm. going on with everybody in the band well if you know if the bass guitar is doing this now that i'm hearing what he's doing maybe i don't need all the toms in there what am i going to do now mm. you know if the if the guitarist has just got this upbeat thing that's a little bit in front of the beat maybe i can pull the snare in a little bit in front of the beat and make the thing sound like it's racing even though the tempo's not changing. Exactly. It's yeah. those those big little lessons, you know, that, that, that they're only very small adjustments, but it's the world of difference between a player and a really good player. Right. You know, yeah. they're there to make a particular group of musicians deliver one particular idea forward in, in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not five individual musicians. And I think the longer you play, the more you actually start to drift away from what you're doing mm. and start listening to, what does this song really need? What do these guys yeah. want me to do? You know, What what you want to play becomes less and less important. Absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise you just play solo. 
Exactly. You know, there's yeah. five guys there, and apparently you're all supposed to be doing something that delivers one, you know, mm. cohesive point or pitch to yeah. the audience. So start playing for that pitch. Don't mm. pay for yourself, you know. Exactly, yeah. You actually end up sounding better individually by playing something that works with that entire pitch. Mm. Um, I'm sure you've been in a, in a situation as well where you've um, had to play with a musician that was clearly playing for himself. And it's it, you, you hit a wall with those people. It was usually it's me. Like, <laughs> It was just, look, it, it really was, you know, mm. and, and uh, but yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I think the, the wisdom of, uh, you know, having more years behind me mm. has taught me that those guys that aren't listening to the band or listening to themselves probably aren't ready to do it yet. So, mm. and sometimes that's a bit of a tender, tender ground because to approach them about that problem, mm-hmm. a lot of them can be very defensive yeah. because they are think, thinking very sort of internally and you know about myself and my individual part and yeah. if you criticise that particularly if you don't play that instrument you can be met with criticism I've, I've certainly had that yeah because I, I guess it, it kind of feels like you're attacking their self-worth sure um, and how they 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 probably have an idea in their head of how they sound like. Yes. So it hurts. It hurts the ego when you, you're told that you're, you're a bit out of place. Well, there, there, there are certain certain ideas that, uh, you know, drunk drivers have about how well they drive when mm. they're drunk, you know. Right. And from a from a, a non-drunk observer, it's probably not all that good, you know. Mm. Yeah. And, and sometimes, the, you know, the harsh truth either hurts or it makes a better musician. I think the, the mm. older you are, the more experience you've had, I think the more open you are mm. uh, in general, <laughs> obviously exceptions. Yeah. I remember we used to chat on an old chat program called ICQ. You remember, do you remember that? Remember, do you remember? Now it's just completely riddled with spam. I think it's been dead for a good 10 still years going? now. I think it's still going. Wow. It's only just Russian, you know, spam bride emails and stuff. Mm. But um, I, I remember you saying playing live will either make you or break you and i found that to be quite true because i think the first couple of times i played live um i was just overcome by nerves and it did break me but you know you, you kind of reach that fork in the road you, you, you either keep going and you suck up your ego and and um keep trying or you kind of just start to associate it negatively you know the whole live playing situation but um i stuck through it and now it's like it's the opposite. I find myself more awkward in social situations and more comfortable on the stage. So. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I get that. I think um, people fear what they don't know, mm. and there's a lot that you don't know when you've not been on stage. I mm. mean, the first thing, from a you know, speaking strictly from a drummer's perspective, yeah, the first thing is your drums don't sound like your drums anymore. Mm. All of a sudden, there's a subwoofer punching your kick drum back at you, tearing your head off. Yeah, um, and that's not how it sounded in rehearsal. Mm. Where's the guitarist? I can't hear him anymore. Why isn't the singer looking at me when I'm when we're playing? All of these things. Why is change. it so dark? But but why are four hundred people looking at me in the audience? They yeah, weren't yeah. here in rehearsals either. Yeah, yeah. You know, and why am I why am I playing these songs three? Why am I dropping a song? All of these unknowns. They all hit you at once. Mm. Um, to try and prepare somebody for playing live, I'd love to see someone who can do that because, you know, live is a variable exercise. You mm. just don't know what to expect. Yeah. Um, and if you can stick with it, yeah, as you find, you, you do get comfortable because after those first couple of gigs, you start to realize that a lot of your fears are not, they're, not, they're unfounded. Mm. You know, they're, they're concerns because you've never experienced it before, but the experience you get 
is amazing, you mm. know, and, and you, you just want to go back and keep doing it and keep doing it. You know, the applause after your first song of your first gig is probably one of the most memorable things that you can mm. ever experience. It's like, wow, I, we wrote all these songs and people are appreciating them and they're hearing them and, you know, I'm there, I'm on the way to being Metallica on stage, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, here it is, you know. Mm. The stage is a lot smaller and less people, yeah. but I'm, I'm on my way, you know. True. Um, I think the, the one thing I, I suffered with for quite a while was um, – I got over the nerves, but I was still playing, you know, five BPM too fast. Um, and I think it's all about, um, I guess, calming, calming the mind and kind of not letting the adrenaline kind of overwhelm you. But um, I've only found recently that I can really sit back and play in the pocket, not get too... I guess anxious about getting getting it right and just kind of relaxing. And you you, you taught me the very um, important distinction between um, concentrating and focusing. I remember that was a massive lesson that you taught. How uh, concentrating is completely different to to focusing because concentrating you you're worried about right and wrong and, and nailing the beat, whereas focusing it's just. It's more about letting go in the zone, little, yeah. yeah. Getting in the zone, yeah. Mm. Adrenaline, adrenaline is a crazy thing, and mm. and um, you know, they, people are always talking about when they were at a moment where their adrenaline was pumping, time slows down, and that's mm. that's that's the perception that almost everybody has when you know when you're just about to get hit by a bus or you're mm. just about to take to the stage in front of three thousand people. Yeah, time sort of slows down, and mm. and of course, what your brain ultimately remembers is not necessarily tempo, but the the comfort that you feel when you're playing a beat. If you're playing a beat that is particularly fast and a little bit troublesome, mm -hmm. what your body remembers and what your brain remembers is that it was fast and a little bit troublesome. Mm. Now, of course, when your body's racing, that speed may feel, you know, you know, you get to that point where it feels as though it's too fast. That's probably about 10 or 15 BPM faster than it would be when you're mm. relaxed because yeah. your body's moving in hyperdrive. Mm. Um, and, of course, uh, one way you can tackle it is to use a metronome on stage. If you if you care to do it, that's a whole other skill in itself. Mm -hmm. One of my friends, actually, um, a great friend of mine and a student for a while, he's uh, took to writing slow down on his snare drum, you know, a visual cue just to say to him, right. you know how fast you want to do it but you're going to do it slower than what you think feels right, and you'll probably come out that that's about the right speed. Yeah. You know, that works. You know, yeah. That's those lessons that I'm telling you about. That's mm. those live things that you don't find out until you do it, and then you listen back and you go, my God, how fast did I play this? Yeah. There must be something wrong with my, with my Zoom recorder. It, it recorded <laughs> too fast. Yeah. You, know, you swear it's not you, but in the moment, that's, that's what happens. You know, you're almost yeah. a different person when you get on stage, mm. and you've you're, got to account for that. You're outside yourself. You've got, to, you've got to account for mm. it. Yeah. You know, cause again, it can make a break make or break a gig you know if 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 your comfortable speed is the fastest that, that the guitarist can play mm. and all of a sudden you get on stage 15 beats a minute faster he's broken yeah he's not keeping up yeah. and you've just thrown that whole song because it's going to be riddled with his mistakes yeah and the other band members can really tell i think i think the drummer is the most oblivious as to being fast i think yeah yeah and, and i've definitely yeah played gigs where just things don't sound right when they're played faster. You know, yeah. certain riffs just don't sit well. The bass doesn't lock in with the kick and everything starts running away from itself. And you can really tell um, certain bands when they play live, like, this is a little rushed, you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, speed speed is such a factor. But you got me on the metronome really early, which I'm so grateful for. because, And I, I guess also playing to music, which was recorded to a metronome, um, was, was how I 
had fun. That was my fun, basically. I'd put on tool or corn and, and just play. Yeah. You're a sucker for punishment, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. Wow. Yeah. But I was always interested in uh, the, the whole um, double kick thing. I think I was really fascinated by just the concept that you could have two kicks was such a big thing when I was, you know, around 12, 13. And I was obsessed with that for ages. Um, but now I find um, I've, I've, I'm more interested in, you know, the simplicity, as I said before. And trying to do double kick stuff with single kick is, is really fun. Yeah. 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 yeah I, um, I'm still going through that double kick phase. Um, and at 38, that's, you know, I'm just wondering when it's going to end. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I still love it. Yeah, I still oh, yeah. absolutely but, love but it. But again, it's like any playing, you know, where is it used? Does that mm. kind of work? I mean, there's, there's the subjective view on that. You know, mm-hmm. do I think it works there? And then there's the band saying, man, that really didn't work there. Mm. You know, I, I spend uh, probably two, three nights a week now um, performing, playing in a... Uh, country rock sort of cover slash original band called mm-hmm. Renegade. So, you know, the majority of our night is is Johnny Cash and Eagles. I love and, Johnny Cash and, and the Eagles. And, like. Oh, we do Elvis and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there going, well, where can I put double kick in this? Because you know, <laughs> I don't think it's been done effectively that all that well in country. I'm going to right. start messing with these songs. And, and, and you know, it's... It's a joke, you know. Yeah. We, we we go out there and and you know the bass player Gary will look at me and go, "What are you putting double kick in?" Then we have a bit of a laugh at it, but we know it's a little bit too much. But yeah, you know, that's just me going. Well, can it still work? You know, mm. I, that my stage is, is is now pretty much my my rehearsal. Yeah, you know, because there isn't rehearsal during the week now. You're on stage too much, yeah. and that's a great thing. Mm. Um, but it means that for me to to keep the level of interest up, to keep my not not just my chops, but to keep myself learning, I need to keep analysing things. And, and what you said before is very true. When you think you've got to beat nice and easy, you know, are you hitting that snare drum right? Mm. Are you going a little t- fast? Is your kick a little bit behind the hi hats? Mm. Should it be? Um, all of those things are what going through my head when I'm playing beats that I'm on top of. You know, I, I've. I know how to do play Ring of Fire, for example, no problem mm-hmm. at all. But am I really getting the nuances right? You know, is the snare the right volume during the verses, or am I drowning out the singer? Mm. You know, that that's my lesson when I'm on stage. Yeah. You know, and um, again, it all comes back to that exploration of you as a player. Who do I want to be? What questions do I need to ask at this point in my career to take me forward? Mm-hmm. And still have that goal. Where do I want to go? What do I need to have in order to get me there? Yeah. You know, and along the way, you're going to make a million different adjustments. It's going to make you, you know, an even better player and possibly even a different player to what you wanted to be. Mm. And that's cool too. Yeah. But the moment you stop asking those questions, the moment you stop having a goal to shoot for, you get bored with it. Yeah. And, then, and then you're out of there. And I've seen too many players who, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they're great players, but they just can't be stuffed. And, and they said, man, what a waste. You know, players that have played me hands and feet under the table. You know, but they just, just apathy. Just they just don't want to play. Mm. You know, I mean, one of the, the the best things for me was when you know I met you after so many years of not doing lessons with you, and you're like, yeah, I'm still playing. I think I met you at Telethon as well. You know, and you're, yeah. you're playing just before I was. I'm like, man, that's Daryl. That's so awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. there he is, and, and he's he's of all the students that I had, here's one that's actually out there and he's playing live mm. and he's a performing drummer that's bad for a teacher that's it that's the yeah. best thing that one of your students got it to the point where he wanted to make that a significant part of his life mm. uh, you know and that that's I mean, it's the coolest thing yeah. it, it's what makes me as a teacher want to keep teaching mm. you know man that, that was a cool moment <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah Um. but yeah once once that whole journey becomes apparent once you can step outside of it and I think I'm, I'm only able to do that now Seeing how far you've come is is really it's exciting. I mean, like you, you learn that um, 
you know, just because it's drums and it's one aspect of your life, you can apply that whole idea of Absolutely. milestones and journeys, but throughout everything, whether it be just getting better as a person, you know, learning not to be judgmental, yes. whether it be a martial art, whatever, you know, there's always little milestones. The problem is when you first start out, you don't have the bigger picture. You don't have that sense that the foundation that you're being given is so necessary in the future mm. if you want to be in it for the long haul. Um, and it's only now that I look back and I'm so grateful for just little things like playing to a metronome or playing the music or even just getting out and seeing gigs at a very young age. You know, I was, I was out at the Newport when I was, you know, first turned 18 and stuff like that. I, I just loved the community, the whole live music scene as a whole. So I really kind of forced myself not just to be a drummer, but to be kind of active. Sure. You know, in other aspects, in other creative aspects. And it all really does tie in. Um, you, you do martial arts as well, don't you? I haven't for a while, but yeah. Mm. And, and I love that, you know, and, and I think you're right. It's all, it's all interconnected, you know. It's all connected in, in some weird way. It, it, everything you do is a reflection of the bigger whole. But, I mean, they talk about a lot of musicians being very good at maths, for example. Mm-hmm. And although there is an element of maths in music, it, you know, one isn't the other. They're, you know, they're worlds apart and there are also you know, great similarities between them as well. But there is something there because you know, when, when you see um, you know, musicians who are also skilled in other areas, in similar areas, mm. you know, in school they say, well, you're all good at science but you all suck at English. Mm. You know, what's with that? Mm-hmm. I think more research needs to be done there and, and you know, a lot of people now are rallying saying we should make kids take music in school. Mm. I, I firmly believe so that because yeah. it's not about learning music. It's mm. about what you need to develop in order to be able to learn music. Yes. That's yes, what's yes, important. Yes. Mm. Once you know how to work with other people who perhaps have different views to you, mm. once you learn how to work through something that's frustrating you mm-hmm. until you can get it, mm. that's when we're learning patience, we're learning tolerance, mm. we're learning to get, as you said, outside your comfort zone, Mm-hmm. And these are life skills. Yeah. These, these make you a better person, period. Exactly. This got nothing to do with music. Mm. If you happen to be a great muso as well, hey, man, that's awesome. Yeah. But even without that, mm. just to learn those skills to be a tolerant person, man, that will, that will get you any exactly. job you want. It will get you any friends you want. It, mm. It's everything. Mm. You know? And music is a big part of that. And sometimes it's the creative way to push those core values rather than having a lesson in, okay, sit down, we're going to teach you how you're supposed to relate to one another. Hmm. You can't teach that to someone. They have to figure it out for themselves. Hmm. If you can disguise those lessons as a musical journey, you're going to play guitar. But along the way, you're going to jam with these two guys that can't even speak English. Hmm. And by the way, they hate drummers. Hmm. You know, you get around that, you've learnt your lessons. Yeah. You know, exactly. take the next step up. It's, you're a better person for it. It's you know? so multifaceted. And um even right down to just body language, you learn to communicate in the jam room without using words. Mm-hmm. You learn to, you learn the whole art of, um, uh, you know, um, connecting with the eyes and eye contact and signals and stuff. All the unsaid stuff, all the stuff that lurks behind everything. You know, the chemistry behind everything. And how big is that? Mm. I mean, look at kids that now that have been brought up using mobile phones. Right. And I'm talking about almost exclusively mobile phones. No mm. friends, no parents. Their their life is on their mobile phones. You see it. They'll be on the on the bus or whatever, and, and there'll be you know half a dozen people standing next to each other. 
you know, probably even texting each other. You know what I mean? Right, no yeah. one turns to talk to one another. Mm. No one turns to look and say good morning. You know, and oh, what does he want? You know, why is he saying good morning to me? Man, this is this is basic manners. This mm. is what people used to do. Remember, mum and dad they used to do this when there wasn't a phone around. Yeah. And you know, people sort of joke about how how involved people are with their with their PCs and their and their phones and stuff. But it's very important because it's all about communication. And as you said, it's not just words. You need to be able to read people. Mm. In order to do that, you have to sit, look, talk. And react with you know with people. Mm-hmm. If you don't do that, your society's shot. Yeah, you know I think we're already seeing it. You know we're seeing different cultures. People are scared of different cultures. People don't want to talk to people that they don't that they can't sort of figure out. You know mm. because they haven't learnt to read body language. Yeah. And when you don't understand a person's body language, and you're not tolerant towards it because you don't know what you're seeing, you feel threatened all the you time. You feel threatened all the time. Yeah. You know, um, you know if someone's looking upset in the corner of a room, do you? Just sort of go, oh, geez, I feel a bit weird. Just, or do you go over and help? Yeah, I mean that's two different people there. You know, you've got to decide who you want to be and what mm. you want to be. You know, if somebody's angry, are you the kind of person to pipe up and tell him he's wrong, or are you going to try and see his side of it? Mm. Understanding other people, I think it comes from, um, it comes from a, a just experience being around lots of different people. Certainly, yeah. music can give you that, but I think um, people have lost, in many ways, the the ability to connect and understand and tolerate. And I think part of that is because they're not associating like they used to with people. Yeah. Where you're forced to sit down, put your phone away. For God's sakes, put it down. Mm. Talk to this person that's sitting right in front of you. Mm. You know, I mean, even divorce rates, if you want to go there, you know, maybe that's a part of it. People don't take the time to even understand anyone but themselves these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it is a very fast-paced society, you know, mm. and, and people are involved in what they're involved in. And there's no time for anyone else. Yeah. You know? yeah there is... There is a feeling like we're in an age of the self, you know, it's very what you create, how you look, you know, and, and, and just how you project yourself. I mean, I'm interested in that as well. Uh, um, I'm interested in that whole marketing aspect to an extent. But yeah, it definitely people are really self-righteous and, and they fall into that ego trap of, you know, their lifestyle is better than... Why or, aren't or you correct. like I am? What, you know, yeah. why, why don't you do things my way? And it could even be as small as, you know, thinking that your political views are correct, you know, and, and things like that, or your religious views are correct. And, exactly right. And, or, and it's, it's all about tolerance. As, as adults, you know, if you've learned to communicate with people and, and, you know, assimilate around, you know, with different types of people and groups of people, hmm. and you're stuck on your phone all day, I think that's a very different problem to a kid that has never learned those skills and he's stuck on his phone all day mm. and you know you see three-year-olds now that you know can upload and, and work on apps quicker than i could yeah you but you t- tell them to write their name on a piece of paper or you tell them to ask for something from uncle jim or whatever and mm. they look to the ground or that you know there's there is a whole social uh thing that's just lost on these kids because mm. it's it's almost it's awkward for them to be amongst other people yeah that's yeah. that's dangerous that's and really it, dangerous it's like a muscle that you have to exercise all the time and, and i find myself in that trap as well i'll go through a whole day where i'm i haven't really spoken to anyone <laughs> and it's just it's un, it's just the nature of the, the way things are i mean like unfortunately it is more efficient to kind of send mass emails than it is to call everyone one by one or to, to meet up with them mm. so it is just a sign of the times I guess but yeah it, it is like a muscle that you have to make sure gets uh, exercised you know so I do force myself to, to be in social situations because you can forget so easily oh, yeah. you know I'm sure you've been in a social situation and you're like oh I'm kind of not I don't feel 
comfortable you know yeah. you, you you lose that ability to to empathize relate and to listen and observe I'd look i'd like to think that that's actually something that i do really well i'm, mm. I'm pretty i'm a reasonably good communicator and yeah. I'm, i've always been a social person mm-hmm. if you could put me in a room full of people that don't even speak my language and we'll be doing something together playing cards you know within an hour mm. you know i just i, I enjoy meeting new people i, I do mm. I, there's no threat there to me yeah if, you know if, if if there's something in another person that i don't know or don't understand that's an opportunity to learn something and to exactly. understand yeah. so yeah. you know in you go have a bit of fun these might end up being your best friends you know and mm. indeed my best friends were people that i probably wouldn't have met had it not been for being put in a position where you know, if I had had a choice, maybe I wouldn't have gone and put myself in that position. Mm. You know, some of my best friends have been a result of meeting other friends on a night out when maybe you weren't feeling well. Yeah. You've got to do it. You know, you, you, that's a huge skill. Yeah. You know, if you can communicate within society, you'll get anywhere. Mm. You know, it, in a band, if we're talking music once again, or just in general, mm. problem solving, jobs, yeah. uh, your future, it all, to a huge extent, depends on how do you approach people and how you can communicate with other people i think if you get those skills down mm. everything else is is practically irrelevant yeah you know i know for work you know any job that you get the majority of what you do at work you're trained for anyway but if you don't come across as the kind of person that they want to be around mm. you're not getting the job yeah you need people's skills i think that's very vital yeah that's that's definitely pretty vital and it's probably explaining why aggression comes about because of that that fear of being feeling threatened or or not understanding and of course mixed with alcohol and stuff like that you've got a very volatile situation and especially when egos come into play and you know testosterone i think i don't know that that whole the whole glass and king hit thing is a mystery to me i don't know why oh it's no mystery to me no no no, I mean, look, you, you talk you about think ego. It's a perfect, the perfect uh, set of circumstances for that to happen, you think? Yeah. yeah. Well, lack of tolerance is certainly one. Mm. Lack of patience is another. Yeah. You know, now, <laughs> I'm going to try and protect, don't, don't send me hate mail or anything like that. But I honestly believe that <laughs> mm-hmm. if you are grown up, if you are brought up, that you are the center of the universe, that there isn't anyone else, mm-hmm. well, that's your ego. Mm. It's not ego. It's just my opinion is the only one that has ever mattered. Yeah. And so I'm going to tell you why yours doesn't. You know, now that to the person who's never had an understanding of community, a, t- a level of tolerance, mm-hmm. that to them is not aggression. That's just the way things are. Mm. Mum and dad have always said that I'm the only one that matters. When I've wanted something, I've got it. Yeah. You know, and when I've done something wrong, there was still that leeway. You know, it, it's, it's weird. You know, with parents, we talk about whether we smack our kids, whether we don't smack our kids. And I don't think that any one person has the right to say, you know, do it or don't do it. I think very much like what I was saying with my lessons, it's all Mm -hmm. about as parents learning from your child, what works, what do they react to, what stimulates them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and and with discipline comes guidance. You know, a good parent doesn't just discipline, they guide their child. And, um, you know, you see a lot now, all these kids are going to the gym, you know, they all, you know, they're twice the size of what I am and half the age. They've got the, um, you can talk about the alcohol, but, you know, that, that, that attitude is there. The attitude is just, mm-hmm. you know, the alcohol is just bringing it out. Yeah. The ego, I believe, is, is, is coming from years of being the only one that's mattered. You know, and we've all been there because we've all been children. But at some point, there was a time when we were placed in front of other people and all of a sudden, other people's views are important too. And you need to learn that. Hmm. I don't think people are getting that. I don't think parents are teaching it to them. Maybe it's through lack of time. Maybe it's through lack of skills of their own mm-hmm. when they were brought up. Because now, of course, we've got a whole generation of you know technology kids mm-hmm. who probably haven't even used parents. They were babysat by television and mm-hmm. now they're getting all the information 
via the internet and YouTube and you know that's a dangerous ground as well just because of all the you know the misinformation and hate that spreads around on those things mm-hmm. and now you've got Facebook where they spend most of their time amongst friends who also think you know singularly and with egos like they do mm. I mean people tend to attract reflections of themselves yeah you know so mm. um, no I don't think they realise that things that they are as bad as they are but for mm. those people who aren't like that um, yeah it's a big problem but so what do you do you can't you can't slap them they're still going to feel entitled they're still going to feel as though they're the only one that matters it's a problem but it doesn't get reversed by charging a person it doesn't get reversed by putting him in jail it you know it it has to have started 20 years ago you know and and it's so the role of the parent yeah is, is key here yeah it, it's it's completely fundamental i think it's um i think yeah you're right you're absolutely right the the alcohol stimulates that ego to flare up but it's a fundamental aspect of how they've been brought up and kids have different creates. personalities i mean you can have mm. great parents who have you know nasty nasty children mm. and vice versa you can have parents that have been through horrible situations that have beaten their kids you know and yet those kids end up being the most placid people you know on earth mm. and you know maybe because they choose that they don't want to be like what they've lived with you know everybody's got to make that choice yeah. and to some extent they're also bound by what they've had as their experience as well so mm. uh, when people start coming into their own that's when you start seeing what they're like but um, you know for parents i think that there is I've always believed there has to be a stronger role of the parent. I think we need to scrutinise parents a little bit more. I'm not talking about after they've had the children. I'm talking about, you know, if, if you want to talk about licensing parents, I, you know, I, as much as in theory I think that's a great idea, in practice it's not a great idea because, you know, you can license parents who could then be absolutely horrible to their kids or situations can change that, that you know, in such that they're not going to be able to give their kids what they plan to give their kids Mm -hmm. but at the same time there are definitely people out there that should not be having kids Mm. you know is it a community's right to tell them that no but when the community suffers as a result of it i think that there should it should at least be considered it should be explored it should be explored Mm -hmm. you know i mean look look, we license dogs we license pets you know let's not license parents but let's also not give them free reign to do what they want knowing full well that they're not capable of doing it mm. let's provide them the skills let's um you know let's let's put them through some sort of i wouldn't say a means test but if somebody's clearly not right for having children somebody needs to at least be advising these people because mm. at the end of the day it's harder for the parents you know i mean sure they'd like to talk about their right to have children but it's not a right it's a privilege Mm. You know, and, and you see that mostly with people that can't have children and want to and would, would probably be fantastic parents. It is a privilege. And so if you're going to be given this privilege, you need to be aware of what it's going to entail. Now, for the record, I don't have children, mm-hmm. but that is a conscious decision I've made. My lifestyle isn't, isn't right for it. Um, you know, children are not uh, something that, that I'm, I'm looking to have and that my, you know, myself and my wife want to have at this point. Okay. So that's where it is. Mm. You know, and should that change, then shall it, it'll change. And, 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 of course, we'll go down that road if, if it ever happens. So mm. uh, it's a conscious choice. And, and, of course, I don't want to jump in and tell parents whether they should and how they should be, be looking mm. at their parents. But a lot of them simply don't know. You know? And, and um, of course, this is sort of hearsay. Listening to other uh, you know, of my friends who have become parents who said, look, we really didn't know what to expect. Mm. We went to the parenting things and we would see parents come into the parents group and some of the things they'd be saying and doing and they'd be sort of shaking their head going, wow, you know, I, I worry about your children. You know? And it's, that's not cool because you know, if the parents can't guide their children with a minimum set of skills, those children will be a burden on the community unless under 
some amazing circumstances they manage to turn things around because if their parents can't do the job properly, that kid's already at a disadvantage. Mm. And it's harder to try and change that and reverse that 20 years later. Mm. If you can get into the parent's mind now, oh, you're looking to have children? At least come to these these classes. Let's yeah. let's show you exactly what it's going to be. And I know that they're out there. Mm. They're, they're out there. But a lot of the people that probably at this point shouldn't have kids are also the ones not going to those classes because they feel they don't need them too. You mm. know, and... Um, you know, I see it and, and it and it worries me. You know, on the one hand, it's none of my business, but on the other hand, I know that in years to come, these people that are taking advantage of the fact that they are fertile and have and can have kids, it's going to be really hard for them and it's going to be even harder for their children. And unfortunately, the community is going to be bearing the brunt of that mm. in more than one way. And I think maybe glassing is a part of that. Yeah. You know, that, that maybe the parents don't have a lot of time. You know, they wanted to have kids. Maybe they're under pressure to have kids. Mm. You know, who knows? But they're there now. They're twenty-year-olds. They're beefed up. They're angry. They're binge drinking. They're you know these are not things that have just sprouted up from culture. These have been created. Mm. You know what has created them? Well, we've got to ask those questions. You know I don't believe it's fully these kids. You know the, because there's too many of them doing it. Mm. You know there's too many of them doing it now. You know you make a decision. I mean I've been you know drunk in my time, and I'm sure you have too. But yeah. there's Certain lines that even when you're drunk, you don't cross those lines. Yeah, and yeah. I would never pick up a glass and want to do it because in the back of my head, I know I'm thinking, man, if I hurt someone seriously, my life's over. Hmm. And I don't care what you've done to me with alcohol, drugs, whatever. That would always be in my mind. Yeah. But there's that line that doesn't exist with these kids. And maybe they've never been close enough to that line to, to see it. Hmm. Maybe that guidance has never been there. Hmm. You know, I don't know. It, you know, it, it's just so broad hmm. And, and it's getting to such an extreme now with, with certain elements in society that I think the community now has a right to start looking at those causes and to start having a say in stopping this problem from coming forth. Mm. You know, we've got an election coming up now and I'm hearing, you know, the, the, all the different politicians are coming forth with their different plans and, you know, somebody wants to do such and such and someone wants to move to renewable energy and these are all fantastic ideas. What's affecting us day to day, I think more and more often, are, are the sort of the ground-based concepts. You know, can you sleep in your house without waking up with your car missing? Hmm. You know, these are things that used to annoy it, but now everybody's getting their cars missing when they're waking right. up in the morning. Well, I had my, I had my shit stolen from a, a friend's car you know, at, a, at a festival. So, <laughs> and, and, of course, because it's happening so much now, the police, hmm. well, here's a number. Yeah. And, and people go, oh, well, the police are not dealing with it. Well, the police can't deal with it. Hmm. And even if they do deal with it, the courts are not dealing with it hmm. because there's so much of this happening, they can't be bothered dealing with it now. And, you know, there's rapists out there, there's people committing so, so many more severe crimes that... The everyday guy that's turning your life up and down by stealing your credit card or by stealing your car or beating up your friend and you're going to have to drive the guy to hospital. These are the guys that are really having an effect on your life. Mm. Crime and punishment, you know, the, light, the right to live uh, free without being harassed. Mm. It's a huge thing and we're losing that. And as much as you hear people get up after somebody gets bashed, these politicians will get up and go, we're going to get tough on crime. How? Yeah. What are you doing about it? Oh, put more, more, more police on the street, apparently. Well, that. Does, all that does, Daryl, is it catches more people exactly. to be let out. Mm. You know, yeah. that's not working. We've got a judicial system that tries to see both sides of the story to the point where the community's feeling failed, yeah. right? And, and I feel strongly on this subject, and it's something that I've, I've done research about myself mm. to the yeah. point where I've started looking at alternative measures of punishment. Um, and, you know, people go, oh, just build more jails, throw more people in jails. It's not the answer. I don't think jail does anything in terms of uh, 
um, teaching empathy or, or tolerance or how to act. I think it, it doesn't really rehabilitate. Well, at, and, at, and rehabilitation was what jail was intended to yeah, provide. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it does that. I think yeah. what you're doing is you're putting you know, a, a, perhaps a young criminal amongst educated criminals, and that kid's coming out better mm. at doing what it was that he got locked up right, for. Right. Um, there was a report that I'd read um, that I think within four years, 40% of people let out a, a back in. Um, you Re- know, these, reoffending. These, yeah. are, these are huge numbers, mm. you know. And to try and cut a crime rate down because there's so many facets to crime is very, very hard to do. Mm. It's not about putting people away because once they get out, statistics tell you they will reoffend. Exactly, yeah. You actually don't want to be sending them to jail. So I started looking around and said, well, who's who's actually coming out with some, you know, some, some different concepts on dealing with people? And it was quite amazing, actually. Um, Memphis, they got a huge crime rate it, it was huge and and they approached now i c- could be wrong i think it might have been either um amazon or walmart like one of these huge retailers mm-hmm. who had um <clears throat> approached ibm and they said well we want to get an idea of what our customers are doing so we want you to create a program which records certain data you know when it's raining what time do people come in what do they buy um, you know, if, if the weather's cold, what are they doing? When do we sell eggs the most? You know, all of these sorts of questions. And it came out with this database, which would then predict what things they should stock up at, or if certain weather's coming, what they should run a sale on. Mm-hmm. It was very, very successful. Mm-hmm. And Memphis Police actually had the foresight to say, well, could that be tailored so that we could put data about certain crimes to then predict what sort of weather would would would, spate, uh, would uh, result in what kind of crimes and where. Mm-hmm. And so they did. They came out with this uh, program called Blue Crush. And what it would do is it would, uh, given certain weather condition times of day, it would predict where more than likely, given the, st- the data that it had received about crime, where these crimes would be happening. And you know, they'd interviewed a few of the police officers and they said it was crazy. They would be told to go to, it's like a Skynet kind of thing, right? Yeah. They'd be told to go to this petrol station at 9.28 at night. Mm. And they would go there and literally five minutes later, four guys would get out of the car with a shotgun. Yeah. Like it, was, it was freaky the way it was predicting it. And then they, they reckon they turned the crime rate around in the first three months, it dropped nearly 10%. Right. Huge. So what had happened was these people were being apprehended um but they ran a campaign after that saying well you don't know where we're going to be and yeah. if you're going to commit a crime we're going to be there so then i started reading more reports about these people that have been breaking into homes and they had interviewed them and they were like career criminals and they said well look the number one thing that stops us breaking into the home is the thought that we might get caught it's mm. not the security system or anything like that we can get around that that's no problem but if there's any sort of inkling that someone is going to catch us that there was a tip off we're gone Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, it created this insecurity with criminals that we, they really didn't know where the cops were going to be. Mm. And so they, you know, police would be at these places and there would be a police presence there and people would move on. You know, now, did it mean that they were committing crime elsewhere? Maybe, but probably not because the crime rate went, rate went down, right. you know, across all areas, you know, major crime, minor crime, uh, particularly like theft from premises and industry, which is, of course, prevalent here. Now, the reason I bring up Memphis is because they have a small police force and a very spread out um, area, mm. much like Perth. You know, we've got a huge urban sprawl. Mm. We're just moving north and south and we don't but, have yeah. enough police to look after. So but it's the, a model. The efficiency is, 
is key because you don't need a large force if you're targeting the right areas. That's right. right. But of yeah. course, this is also cop criticism. People say, oh, well, now you're collecting data on criminals. Mm. This is an invasion of their rights. Well, mm. you know, it depends who you talk to. For me, if you're a criminal, you don't have any, as far as I'm concerned. You've yeah. abused that right. We take it away from you. Mm-hmm. But I'm a little bit hardcore. I'm a little bit old school. I'm <laughs> Italian, you know, get it from my dad. You know, that's the right. guidance, right? Um, <clears throat> but that's that's honestly what I believe. And, and, and I think that it would work here. And I even went to the point of emailing Carlo Callahan and saying to him, have you seen this program? You know, it wouldn't be cheap to to, to implement, but look at what it could achieve. You know, Mm -hmm. we're talking about tourism suffering now because of the crime that we've got going on. People getting, you know, beaten up. They've been here hours coming from Mm -hmm. overseas and on holidays and, man, you know, a car smashes into a taxi with a... You're hearing all these reports and it's tragic. Mm -hmm. If you could even cut down 5% of that, you know, maybe, just maybe it stops a glassing or it stops a home invasion where an elderly yeah. person's getting beaten up. Well, um, I've got, yeah, I've got numerous friends that, that have limited their um, times of going out simply because they don't feel safe anymore. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I think I do feel it. You know, even just, you know, finishing a gig or walking through Northridge, you do feel there's something kind of lurking underneath. But obviously, I think culture is a is a big thing as well. Like, if you injected just a friendly atmosphere like you know the fringe festival did you're gonna you know have a little bit of change as well because people are less likely to to um feed off that negative energy if, if it's you know the, the, the scary thing is that, that, that no matter how you are there are always going to be some people and and this is the scary thing that, that see the violence as mm. entertainment yeah and, and now that's disgusting but that's the way it is i mean i had uh, a guy that i work with he's in his 50s mm-hmm. Three weeks ago, was was beaten up outside the gig. He was playing a gig. He was filling in for a band. Right. Um, great guy, nicest guy, father of you know kids and married and in his fifties. You know the last yeah. guy that you would imagine is going to go out there picking trouble, and he wasn't. In actual, in actual fact, he wasn't feeling well. He went out to the car, and um, as he came back in, someone just got into his face, and there was not even an exchange. This is the thing: it's a, to this person that walked up to him, it was all about I want to have a fight because I got nothing better to do tonight. Right. To pick on a fifty-year-old, and by the way, he got his ass handed to him, which was fantastic. But okay. you know. Violence besets violence. We don't want that to happen either. Right, yeah. But man, what? I mean, how messed up must things be that, that your entertainment for the night is going out, hurting someone yeah. for no reason, mm. not even someone you know. You're just going out there to hurt someone. Mm. You know, that, that unfortunately is the kinds of people that we've got out there. Maybe not in huge numbers, but it doesn't. It doesn't need huge numbers. Mm. You only need one person to. You know, to make a mess for, for everybody. Right. You know, and, yeah. and, and that's what worries me. I, look, I play in Northbridge every week, and, and I, I don't think it's as bad as the media Whereabouts portrays. do you play? The Shed? I play at The Shed. Yeah. Um, you know, in and about everywhere. I also go rurally as well. I mean, we see the country, we see the city, we see it all, and it's a world of difference between the two. I think it's way nicer in the country. Oh, it's way nicer. But, it's you know, there's a lot of things in the city that, that create tension mm. amongst people. You know, proximity. Um, you know, traffic jams, you know, all of these things that just people carry that with them. Yeah. And, um, you know, and in the city, it's very, very different. But I also think that the city gets a little bit of a bad rap. And I think because it's easy to find a story in the city, a lot of the news crews, whenever something happens, bang, they're straight on it. Mm-hmm. You know, bang, they ripped up some tiles at the at the you know, at the bell tower with 200 signatures on it. Not because that was a particularly important story, but because they knew 200,000 kids are going to start getting up in arms about it. And that's what the news is about. It's about creating 
an emotional response. Mm. So people get reactive and they get involved in that station, in that story. Knee-jerk reactions is, is what they're based on, yeah. That's right. Mm. And, it, and it gets blown out of proportion. That's the thing. Don't mm. get me wrong. It's important that these things get told about, but things get harped on. I think crime in the city is one of those things too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, And I've been in a situation where I've seen a fight break out that was particularly nasty uh, that, that did happen to get on the news the following night. Uh, and it was completely oversold. You know, I don't want to sort of say it because the victims, you know, it was very serious for them, mm. but it really wasn't helicopters and riot squad and all that sort of stuff. But that's mm. what sells the story. Mm. You know, so I don't think that the city is necessarily unsafe, um, but I think that there are some unsavory characters with unfortunately nothing better to do with their time. Mm-hmm. And, and these are the people that we need to be focusing on. And I think these are the people that the politicians know need to be addressed probably aren't sure how to address them. Yeah. So let's pitch something else at the next election that we know people are going to want. Right. You know, to blind people from the fact that, you know what, day to day, you've probably got more important things that are that are needing to be done in and around your life and in your community's life, but you're not hearing about those things, so you're not having input out of sight out of mind. Hmm. You know, I want to hear about the guy that gets up and goes, "Well, I want to crack down on crime, but here's how we're going to do it." You know, not, I'm going to get tough on it. Well, how? You can't do it unless the courts are going mm. to change their ways. It's all just rhetoric, you know. It's what, what, rhetoric. Yeah. I, I'm not mm. sold by rhetoric anymore because mm. anybody can get up there and say it. And most of them then turn around 12 months later and do the exact opposite. Exactly. So yeah. I'm not sold on that anymore. If you want to win my vote, if you want to make yourself important to, to the community, start telling the community what you're going to do, but how are you going to do it? Mm. I mean, heaven forbid the community might even get involved with you and help you do it. I mean, that's what it's all about. Mm. These people are meant to be in power mm-hmm. to, to do the, the, the wishes of the community and, and, like a parent, offer guidance because presumably they have a certain skill set or a certain experience that the community would rely on them to do where the community as a whole perhaps doesn't have the answers. So, you know, why can't we all work together? Well, because we don't understand one another, because we're not tolerant of one another, mm. because as soon as somebody comes forward and says, I'm going to go into politics, automatically we have to hate that person. You know, there's a stigma attached. People have got to step back and go, to hell with what the news has told me, to hell with what other people's, um, you know, prejudices have told me. What's my experience? Have I ever had a hard time with this kind of person? Mm. Have yeah. I ever had a politician done done wrong by me personally? Well, if not, be open to what they've got to say, but make sure that they're answering what it is you want to know. Mm-hmm. If they're going to get down on crime, find out how they're going to do it, and then vote on their proposed solution. Not don't you know? Don't vote on what they're proposing to do. Vote on how good you think their solution is. Yeah, don't vote on the outcome, vote on the actual the process, the process. Of, of how to get to that, that goal. Because if, if you can't solve that problem, then as a politician, you shouldn't be up saying that you're going to. Mm, yeah. You know, I'm going to give everybody $10,000. Well, unless you've calculated how to do it, don't say it, mate, mm. because everyone's going to hate you and that's it. You know, I mean, I don't have a, a huge you know, a f- affection for politicians, but at the same time, I do identify that it must be one hell of a hard job. Mm. You know, I mean, you look at Barnett, really don't agree with a lot of his policies, you know, and and I wouldn't use the word hate because he's a guy that I don't personally know. You know, he's probably a a guy with with family and relatives and people that love him and, you know, his policies I don't like, but I don't hate the guy. Hmm. You know, I don't have any personal... So if he's got something to say, I'm all ears. But if, if it doesn't resonate with me, you're not getting my vote. It's as simple as that. You know, uh, mm. I don't think it has to be more complicated than that. Everyone's got to make an individual decision based on what works for them with a thought for 
whether it also sort of works for the greater community. Because obviously, if you're only thinking about yourself, it's selfish. Mm-hmm. But you need to have your personal space, you, your family, your community, catered for. And you've got to vote for the people that do that. You know, what's important to you and who's actually offering solutions? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the talk. Who's offering solutions? You know, because I don't think there are many because we've got a lot of problems, but people have got to realize, man, we're in a really good place where we are right now. Mm. You know, you look at the rest of the world, they're struggling. You know, we're not doing so bad. You know, it's still pretty good. And I think it's really easy to take it for granted as well. The more you stay here, you kind of get cynical, apathetic, and stuff like and, that. And I think because we're losing some of that now, mm. and maybe because we have to, I don't know. You know, I mean, like I said, we're doing so much better. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about, oh, we're very prosperous, and all of a sudden we've got to start reining things in a little bit with the money. And, you know, people go, oh, man, I can't get my, my pay rise every year. Or how come money's not going to education? I said, well, you know what? Maybe it is that hard. Maybe there isn't money there. Yeah. Maybe there is. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing it all. I, mean, I can certainly research it, but all I'm getting by researching that is someone else's view on where they think all the money is and where it should come from. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't know, you've got to be willing to stand up and say, well, look, I think more money should be going into education, and I think there is more money for education, but I don't know. I'm, I'm not privy to that. Mm-hmm. You know, When I see money being spent on upgrades of offices, I can perhaps entertain the idea that it's being wasted and that there maybe was money for there, but I don't know. Maybe that money was was taken from somewhere else. I just don't know. So I have to have a certain part of me that says, well, I don't have all the answers. So I can't be overly critical of somebody who gets up there and tries to find the solutions. But at the same time, I'm not going to be fed bullshit. Yeah. And if I can see bullshit, I'm going to call it. That's a healthy balance. That's a really healthy balance. Some call it fence sitting. Mm. You know, like you know, I, don't, it's, I don't think it's bad. I don't think I think sitting on a fence is one of the most powerful and most empowering places to be because you're remaining objective. You're not picking a side too early. You, you've got to act when it's time to act. Yeah, exactly. If you're not prepared to act, you know, and I guess this goes with the whole people wanting to do the donkey vote. I don't know who to vote for. I don't like any of them, so I'm voting none. And mm-hmm. people go, good on you because you shouldn't be giving the vote to anybody if you don't feel 100% about giving it to them. And on the other side, it's go, well, you've just wasted one of the most powerful things, your, your freedom to choose, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's two sides to looking at it. But, I, I, you know, and there's an argument for both. I, I like to get as much information as I can. Mm-hmm. And when I feel confident about making a decision, then I make a decision because ultimately I'm the one that has to, to wear mm. the result of the decision that I make. Yeah. And if I'm not comfortable wearing that result, then if the opportunity is there not to choose, that's going to be my choice. Hmm. Um, I just think a lot of people are, uh, yeah, very extremely knee-jerk and they, once they disagree with something, they immediately refuse to to research further or, or to know more about it. And, um, yeah, it, it definitely seems like a lot of people have some pretty strong opinions that are kind of just second-hand sensationalized stuff from, from the media you know whichever side they choose to 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 pick Mm. so um yeah i think that that's it's one of the best places to be is is on the fence because you can see both sides you can see who's credible on each side and and um you can formulate you know your own kind of idea from there and i I don't think it's a bad place to be to to be on the fence look i'm I'm opinionated i Mm. know it and and you know opinionated unfortunately if i try and back up my opinions where where necessary sometimes people don't don't like it, and and you know sometimes I'm a hundred percent wrong. But as I said, it's my call to make hmm. the opinions that I have are mine. And and if if the forum comes up to express those opinions, and I will, and if they offend, I apologise. It's obviously not done intentionally. Mm-hmm. But the other side of the coin is that people have the right to take on board my opinion or to to not show it any validity at all. And mm. and that's cool. That's fine. Yeah. But trying to hammer home a point to somebody who clearly doesn't agree with you is it's 
why? I mean, it's just pointless. Mm. You know, you've got a differing view. I've got a differing view. That's fantastic. Let's move on. Mm. You know, people can't do that. Yeah. You know, and and it's getting it's getting worse. You know, I think both of us got annoyed when um you know the 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 whole Abbott being elected thing came about, and um just so many Facebook posts about like you know if you voted for Abbott, I'm gonna fucking unfriend you and stuff like that. Like people are so. That's black fear, and, mate. That's fear, and that's insecurity. Really, really black and white. Like, really, you're gonna, you know, chop this guy off because you have different political views. Like, isn't that what? Isn't that the problem right there? But isn't it amazing how many people are political experts once this guy gets in? Hmm. You know, and and more power to somebody who wants to go and look at the history of politics and and actually rate this guy based on measurable uh, results of other prime ministers. Because mm-hmm. I can't I can't remember a prime minister that everyone didn't hate until he was out of office. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the amount of people I mean, oh, well, Keating was so much better, and Hawke was fantastic. Man, we all hated him back then. Yeah, that's that's just what it was. Everybody, a decision has to be made. And it isn't going to suit everybody. Yeah. And you can't hold on to that for a million years, mate. And and, and that's proof of it. Yeah. You know, you, you you go to work and you realize you're, you're losing your minimum wage or it's going down. You hate this guy. You know, I hate you. And then he's out of office. And 20 years later, some worse decisions get made. It's like, man, I wish we had that guy back. Yeah. The benefit of hindsight, you know, and... Like, I wish I was that interested in politics. I, I really aren't. I, I'm not. You know, yeah. my life is about, it's about my enjoyment with my music. It's about mm. my time with my wife. And honestly, Tony Abbott's never knocked on my door. And the decisions that he's made that has affected my way of life has not affected it to such an extent mm. that it's made or broken me. And, you know, and in ways, I've, myself and my wife have put steps in place so that we can insulate ourselves a little bit from the need to rely on, you know... A, political decisions mm-hmm. as much as possible. I mean, you don't know what's around the corner, but, you know, in the same way that somebody uh, saves so that they're not living week to week or they're not relying on the fact that if this job goes, they're going to be bankrupt, you know, to try and, when things are good, to put some stuff aside and insulate yourself, you know, yourself, get some money in the bank, get yourself some sort of security, get yourself some insulation so that if you happen to lose your job, if your house takes a turn, something happens, that you can you can keep going, mm. you know, and I think part of that is having skills to keep yourself multiple, you know, Know, multi-skilled so that you can adapt to a situation right. if you're good at one thing and you lose that one thing man you've got to get good at something else pretty quick mm. um, but I think your ability to adapt takes you most of the journey mm. you know my wife is incredibly organized me organized but not when it comes to money right but, but you've, you've gone from a teacher to um, uh, more of a, a retail retail kind of guy for, for cosmic so well I'm, I'm a communicator Dale, mm. you know and, and and I happen to have some skill in teaching you know i was trained right. as, a, as a maths teacher originally um i've had That's some right. and i've had some skill at, in in drumming mm. so of course i can teach drumming and, and of course being a teacher is very different to being someone who's good at a particular skill mm. you can be a great drummer and have no idea how whatsoever how on how to teach somebody yeah. how to be a good drummer you just mm. know that you're good at it mm. um but you know with retail same kind of thing you're still communicating with people you still have to read the person you still have to understand listen to the person um and 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 sort of qualify them what do they want Hmm. you know how do i give it to them you know and and i think that's that's life you know when you're going for a job interview what do i have to pitch in order to get this job what do they want Hmm. it's not about what i can give them what do they want Hmm. you know in life that's that's a huge skill you know if you can give people what they want and you can feel good about doing it life is good Hmm. you know life is good money's not everything but if your pursuit is is for things that require money and require a certain proficiency either in a job or a skill, then go get them. Yeah. Find out what's needed to go get them and go get them. Mm. There, is, there is opportunity in this country 
you know, much more so than any other country. Mm. There are people there to help you. And it doesn't matter what, what religious, you know, what religious following you have, what race you are, you know, people have come from different backgrounds. People have struggled in different sort of groups and areas, but there is opportunity there. But it starts with the person getting up and going, this is what I want to do. You know, this is what I want to explore. Mm-hmm. I need help to do this. Who can do it? You know, and more power to those people who don't get help along the way. But I don't think anybody is that person. I think everybody at some point needs the help. Uh, and I think you need to be skilled at knowing how to seek help. Mm. You know, your communication gets you most of the way. Yeah. That, that's been my experience anyway. If you just if you're cool with people and you understand people's sensibilities and you understand, you know, people, then you can communicate in a way that, that resonates with them. And they're yeah. much more inclined to be, uh, you know, to work with you and i think it, it, it just accelerates the, the whole learning process if you can connect with someone sure and, and if you can empathize if you can understand their background where they want to be what their goal is it's which is kind of the reason for this podcast i mean it, it does sound kind of cheesy but i want to talk to people that inspire me that are doing things out there that might not necessarily share the, the same view as me politically or or whatever, but I, I, I don't think that matters. No. That's the thing. We have to get over our opinion. We have to get over what we think matters, which is the whole idea of individuality and the self and, you know, I am important and this is yeah. what I should stand for. And, you know, I, I really don't like people that, you know, if, if, if <clears throat> they, they disagree with someone, they simply cut them out of their life. You've missed an opportunity to, to learn. You've missed an opportunity to connect with someone and learn if you simply block them out because you don't agree with them. Oh, know? absolutely. I think you're right. And I, and I think it's one thing to, to, to make people aware of what you think is important mm-hmm. in, in the hope that perhaps they will, you know, they, they will find something in Your that. Your values, yeah. That, that, yeah. Oh, wow, maybe I should find out more about this. I think this is important. Mm. That's a very different thing to saying you should do what I do mm. because of this. Yeah. And I think that uh, people now, there's, you know, you look at the whole selfie thing that's going on. I think people want to make themselves feel important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Facebook perhaps is, is the king of that because it's all about you and your circle of friends. And so everybody wants to have something that is, that is important to them that it's their thing you know that's what such and such is talking about that's this is me this is what i do this is my thing uh sometimes to the point where they just hammer at home every single time exactly what you're saying Mm. and and more power to those people you know if i don't have such an interest in that or if i flat out disagree with them it's foolish for them to continue to tell me they're wrong because they've read more books than i have on it or you know it's just not important Mm. you know put your opinion forward that's what social media is for but be prepared that some people are just it's not that they don't get you. It's they don't agree with you. Hmm. They've got a different set of skills, and that's okay. Let yeah. them do what they do. Let you do what you do. You know what? We can still meet in the middle. We can still get around a table and have dinner together. We can still talk to one another and have a great old time. And you know what? Those things that you think are so important and those things that I think are so important, neither are important when we're sitting here talking face-to-face. Hmm. It's just not It's not important. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, your Facebook is literally – it's a highlight of things that you think are important in your life. Yeah. But, you know, you might be um, you're hating the Abbott government or whatever, but you're not out there with flyers every single – I mean, I hope you're not because it's, it's actually – in a lot of ways, is a waste of a day if nobody's actually listening to you. Mm-hmm. But you've got your own daily life. Man, I'd rather hear about that. Where did you go for dinner last night? Oh, you spent last night home with your wife. What did you watch? What did you do? Mm. That's 
That's enjoyable. That's what they used to call, you know, talk around the table. Yeah. You know, people don't do that because nobody wants to see that online. They want to see another photo of your cat or your kids or your dinner or, you know, your latest rally that you attended. All important things. But in the grand scheme of things, nobody wants to hear about your battles. You know, we want to hear about... Um, your daily life. We want to hear about the, you know, your core values. Mm-hmm. You know, not just the things that are pissing you off. Not just the, you know, tell me, tell me the good thing about your day. Your highs and lows. You know, give it to me in real terms. I want mm. to hear what your what your life is about. You know, not about how much you're hating someone's decision over there, or you know, this is pissing you off. Or and don't get me wrong, I've got my things that I think people way off the mark with and things that really annoy me but i don't think everybody needs to know about that mm. you know they're my they're my battles together but it's also the way you react to someone that disagrees as sure. well i think that's the real test i mean anyone can just blurt out their opinion i think the real test is when somebody disagrees with that how are you going to act from there well that's tolerance that's the, exactly. that's yeah, the exactly. tolerance that's mm. the you know the the line is it's okay for people to disagree with you mm. and it's okay for that to happen yeah you know and and people some people don't have that mm. and it's maybe it's just because they've, they've they've so blindly believed and and maybe it's through analysis maybe it's a valid point that they have mm. but they believe it so blindly that their mission is now not to just convince themselves that they're right but that everybody else has to be educated right and that can only happen to a point mm. before you start creating enemies you know yeah. tell people what you've discovered that's that's how progress gets made i've found that this is true i found this is not true yeah but yeah you're right let people disagree with you yeah and, and, and i think yeah p- people will find stuff out if they feel it's relevant to them in time in in due time and i think some people are just simply not either interested or ready to to take in that information so but but i think if 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 you think that they need to be interested Mm -hmm. like for example um there's a big movement at the moment about you know we should be voting the greens or we should be uh becoming vegan because you know and all of these are valid things but if people are not listening to you and they're disagreeing with you and they're not motivated the way that you are Mm -hmm. And importantly, if you think that they should be, then it's your failure because mm. you're not thinking, again, what do they want to get out of this? Yeah. What is the trigger for them? Right. What motivates them to get interested in what it is I'm trying to sell them? Mm. That's retail. That's teaching. Mm-hmm. That's life. Communicating. If yeah. you want to sell a point, you've got to get some. You've got to get people interested in it. Mm-hmm. You can't sell somebody something they don't want at any price. You can't force feed someone that just doesn't want to hear it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're any good and you've you, you've got all the information as you say, mm-hmm. now you need to package it in a way that inspires that next person who perhaps wasn't even thinking about it before to go. You know what? Mm-hmm. I've never thought about this, but man, that's that's interesting. Maybe I'll read more about this. Yeah, that's what you need to achieve. Don't give them the answers. Let them go find the answers. Mm. You give them the motivation yeah. to go find their own well, answers. You, you plant the seed. You plant the seed, and then you hope that it grows. But I don't think you can do much more than that. You can never force someone to, to. I mean, even now, I, I've, I've, you know, within five years, all of my views have, have changed quite dramatically. I'm, I've calmed down a lot. Um, I've just learned to, uh, I guess. As you get older, you learn to pick your spots where where the battle is. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. You 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 start to 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 choose the most efficient path to to get your point across, and you try not to be too abrasive about it. Oh, yeah, maybe you learn tolerance from years of people disagreeing with you, yeah. just becoming tired of arguing. It's and that's like, healthy. Well, you that's know. such a healthy thing. You have to. You can't be around people that just agree with you all day. You have to challenge yourself by, you know. Self-reflection is huge. I mean, Mm. you've got to say, why is this person not listening to what I'm saying? Mm. That's your failure. 
Yeah. You know, it, it, if people aren't listening to you, maybe you're just not selling it to them the right way. Yeah. You know, it, it's not about facts. Mm. It's about inspiring that other person. I mean, I can't stress that enough. Mm. You know, it's just so important in life. If you if you care enough to rant on about what you think is so important, at least develop the skills to sell it to somebody, to get them motivated. Mm. Then you can have a discussion with people and pat each other on the back that you now both agree that it's a both, you know, that these this is the right way to go. Mm. But if you keep hitting people up against a brick wall and they're not listening to you it is not their problem it is your problem Mm -hmm. either go away and sell it to somebody else or refine your technique because that person may be inspired but you're not giving it to them in the right in the right context you're not you're not hitting that ground with them yet Mm -hmm. so you know you as you say pick your battles yeah keep going at it the same way you're going and get nowhere or leave and go and go somewhere else, mm-hmm. you know, and that's and that's that's the cool thing because then of course people are not getting flooded with information they don't care about, and mm. I think that's a bit another big problem we got with society is just apathy. Nobody really cares much about anything. I mean, mm. to bring it back to music, it's gone off on a huge tangent, but mm. I was reading up about Metallica the other day saying that they had to cancel uh, some festivals that they were doing because they reckon people are just not turning up to concerts. Mm. There's just an apathy there. Oh, I'll just stream it on YouTube or I'll, mm-hmm. you know. And then those same people who are not coming to these concerts are then complaining when Metallica tours Europe or Australia and the, the crowds are good because obviously we don't see them as much so there's a little bit more of a, you know, a, a, a push to go because mm-hmm. you're not going to see them again for another year. And um, James Hetfield has said, you know, people have to want music again. Because it's just too easy to get all the music that you want. Yeah. It's just too neatly packaged. It's just far too accessible. And, you know, even with um, AJ, and, you know, we're talking about Big Day Out and we're talking about Soundwave and it's not coming back to Perth. And he right. was sort of saying that it's difficult and we don't make our money back, you know, and people complain. But these are the same people that are complaining about ticket prices and the same people right. complain, oh, but when you look at the day that it's on, man, I got to, oh, there's something else on. Mm. You know, to have too many events is not a bad thing. Mm. Um, you know, and, and even with retail, I mean, I work in retail and I have for, you know, for decades and, and this is the thing. People have got the best of both worlds. They've got the convenience of having what they want at their fingertips and they've got the convenience of having it cheap. What about when start of these, some of these things start disappearing? Mm. For example, you're looking for a new drum set. Mm-hmm. You know, you go in to the, to the store and you try out a couple of drums and you really like these drums, and we see this. Then the phone comes out and you find the cheapest place to buy it, you know, and you think you've got a deal because the store's ripping you off or because you know you can get it cheaper. Oh, but I'm still buying Australian, you know. You're actually the problem, mm-hmm. you know. Now, look, don't get me wrong. Nobody should be ripped off, but I can tell you right now from using the scene, retailers are not ripping people off. Retailers are finding it very, very difficult. The reality is there is... There is a hardship to retailing in Australia, and it's not just in the music industry; it's everywhere. There are the freight costs, the import costs. I mean, we're, right. you know, you look at us on a map, man. We're isolated. Yeah, but we're so the thing far is, away from everything. You know, people mm. talk about um, distributors. You know, the, the the people that supply goods to the stores. Oh, but why am I paying to go through those guys when I can get it direct from the states? Well, yeah, that's true. You're saving money, but did I tell you that these distributors also support the artists with gear when they tour? to save you from having to bring your drum kit to Sydney, we'll actually supply you with one. Mm -hmm. Do you know that we put money into advertising so that you know about the new products? Do you know that we we are responsible for pitching in to bring over major artists so that you guys can have festivals so that the one promoter is not copying the full cost? Mm. There are other things above selling that these people do, and part of the cost is associated with that. Now, there wouldn't be a musician around who wouldn't say, yeah, man, I'd give an extra 10 bucks for a local band to go see them. Well, that's exactly what retailers and distributors 
are doing. Mm. They are supporting a scene. They are making sure that you've got a product in the store so that you can try this thing out. So you've got the right thing because, you know, as good as the YouTubes and those sorts of things are, you can't feel a drum. You can't hear the nuances between one cymbal and the next or how the neck of a guitar feels. You have to feel that. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about one-off items like Fender Strats that are all made a little bit differently, you know, to some extent, maybe you need to buy the one that you felt. But there's less and less of those people around. For the yeah. mum and dad starter who just want the pack or whatever, mm. it's about going in, trying that product, and then finding it cheapest. And I think if it's you're very not prepared... consumer, consumer, consumer-minded, I guess. Man, we get it. Mm. Everybody wants to save money. We do too, but... It's not about necessarily saving money. For me, as a musician, I've got a, an allegiance to making sure musicians are looked after, and mm. I'm telling you. It's what you're supporting in the big, the bigger picture of what you're supporting, and that, that is an industry, which is music. And, it is, yeah. and, and a lot of that money goes towards that industry. I mean, they don't advertise it as such because you don't actually know month to month how much money you're actually even going to have to put into some sort of event or mm. promotion you know, towards a CD launch or whatever for a band. that we, we, you know, Where I work, we do a lot of that. We, we do support artists. We sponsor them. a lot. We do, yeah. and, and, and it's important. And these things cost. We don't want them to cost the end user, mm-hmm. but it costs us. Yeah, you know, and 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 wholesalers, we rely on these guys to supply us the goods for these events. We rely on those guys putting money in so that together with them we can keep events happening and getting bands that otherwise couldn't afford to go to Sydney to do some shows, mm. getting them to go over to Sydney and do some shows. And I think that there's value in paying a little bit more to do that. Mm. Um, now our inflated prices, if you want to call them inflated. Um, that's where a lot of that money's going. And at the end of the day, man, there's not a huge profit there. So mm. I understand it. But when that drum kit or that Fender Strat all of a sudden isn't being brought into the store anymore because the, the store says we can't afford to do it anymore, those same people that want to save money and now, well, I don't go to that store because they don't have the stuff that I want. Dude, you made that happen. Mm. You may not have realized it, but you made that happen. So, you know, ask yourself as a consumer, and I do this all the time, do I want to get it as cheap as possible? Yes, Am I negatively affecting a scene that I claim to be supporting by doing that? Mm. If so, make a conscience call. What's that worth to you? You know, if it's worth putting in an extra 50 bucks on a $1,000 product, yeah. For me, mate, if I had to pay, I mean, I actually, I'm, I'm sponsored with symbols. Mm-hmm. I pay right now more for a symbol that I'm sponsored by than it would cost you to get one from overseas. Right. But it's not about that for me. You know, it really isn't. You know, it is about the support. I need to know that there is a support network there for me because if that support network is there for me to buy something in Australia, then it's there for you when you buy in Australia. And that's huge because the day you come in and crack a symbol, no sweat. Here's another one. You know, mm, people yeah. need that. And and we've we as as consumers, we've had a history of expecting that sort of treatment. And you don't see that being advertised as to happen overseas. Something someone will say, Oh, look, you know, if you have a problem, send it back. But it's at your cost. Hmm. And it's your inconvenience. You know, I can't name a store in Australia that would ever put that cost on you. You know, if you've got a problem, mate, they will bend over backwards to sort you out. You know, if you're a regular in that store, you're going to get the discounts you're going to be getting, probably the same as what you get overseas. But build an alliance. Go hmm. and see that guy in the store that you rely on to get good information that has that product there that listens and understands the band you're in so that he can give great advice. Mm-hmm. Utilize that guy, but for God's sakes, support that guy. Support his job. Hmm. Support the store that is supporting you. You know, I mean, I could rattle off for hours the sorts of things that we do, but rest assured, they're there. Hmm. We're there to help the music because we understand, mate, if we don't help the bands, the bands don't, we don't deserve to have those bands coming in here. 
hmm. in, into our store. Yeah. It's a two-way street. Two-way thing, yeah. And I worry, mate, because I see a lot of you know big-selling products that perhaps aren't selling as well anymore, and the only reason we can put it down to is either getting beaten on price. Now, nationally, we're very competitive, so... But it's it's the overseas stuff, you know, and, and the overseas guys are onto this now because, of course, nothing's selling in America right now. They just don't have the money. Mm. So they're looking at Australia and they are actively pursuing Australians going, we want to get their money because they've all got decent wages. They've all got good income. And compared to Australia, our retail prices seem very, very cheap to them. Mm. So they are pushing to get in here. And if you go on some of these major, you know, music websites, we'll deliver us to Australia for 20 bucks. Doesn't matter what it is, it can be a piano. Everyone mm. goes, Man, that's awesome. We pay fifty to get it from Sydney. And and it gets here quicker. But it's the unwritten things. That's what you've got to you've got to mm. if you care to do it, you've got to consider it at all. Mm. You know, ring your store. What do you guys do? I noticed that you've got them for twenty percent more. Well, can you tell me a bit about what you do for musos? I'm a new guy in a band. What sort of co- you know, why should I be giving you my money? Mm. Why can't you ring a store and ask that? I certainly have an answer for you. I can back you up forty years for the mm. things that we've done and yeah. continue to do because we're all still in the scene. you know. And I'm sure every other store's got staff members who are equally as passionate about the scene who would tell you exactly the same story. It is worth putting the extra money in because once these stores disappear and your choices go away, then you really are in the dark mm. and you don't get to try the gear and you don't get to meet those other guys and you don't have those band competitions put on by, you know, at least in part, stores and wholesalers. Mm. It's a huge network and it's all interconnected right the way from the touring band right down to the local musicians and retail stores are just a part of that. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of stuff with workshops as well. I think you guys do shitloads of workshops. Um, very difficult to do, mind you. To, to, to bring someone over. Just, it would just be through. very easy for us to go, you know what, too hard. Hmm. But and you know and we we pay to have these. We don't make money out of them. Yeah. We do not make a cent. We lose money putting these things on. Right. Yeah. But it's not about that. Mm. You know, just like when you go to buy something, it's not just about the price on that tag. There is more attached to that. Mm. And people need to know this. They need to go and find out what goes into that. So those workshops, every time, even for our own interest, oh, such and such is coming over with a band, shredding guitarist. You know, it's like kids going to their dad, you know, oh, boss, please, 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 can we get him in the store? You know, please, yeah. can we do a signing? And, and you know, and these that's what we do it for, man. We love it. We love seeing all the musos in the scene come in to see the guys that we get in the store. We love hearing that, you know, the the opinions of these guys that have been there and done it all and that's what it's about man it's not Mm. about x versus y product 20 percent off 30 percent off that's great when you're buying but what about what we all came to do man all play music all to come in and shred on a guitar Mm. you know we're musos man we want the passion behind the music we don't want to be sold you know gear like it's furniture every second day we Mm. want to be passionate we want to love what we're doing we want to talk and play music Mm. you know and having those guys in that is the that is the boost. That's the passion boost that we all need. Here's Kerry King. You know, here's Paul Gilbert. Here's Billy Sheehan. Here's, they're all in front of you right now. We brought them over. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about product. We want you to feel inspired because this guy's in front of you right now. Mm-hmm. Get that love of music happening inside you. You know, let's get the scene strong. I mean, it is strong, but let's, let's keep it strong. Mm. Let's talk about musos. Let's talk about bands. Let's go see bands. Let's happily give an extra 10 bucks that we would have spent on a pack of smokes anyway. Let's give it to a door, uh, you know, so that we can go and see a band that we've never seen before. Mm. If you don't want to do that, then you've got to question your passion as a musician. Because part of that, as you pointed out earlier, is about you as a person. It's not your proficiency. It's not just about your band. It's about being involved in this thing called music. Get out there, experience it, do it. There is a whole range of people now that go out 
enjoy their DJs and as much as you want to bag on DJs, if everybody's going to see DJs, then there's something there musically that people who like to listen to music, which is everybody, mm-hmm. get from a DJ that perhaps they're not getting it from a band. Mm. What is it they want? How do you bring that to them? Right. You know, Jojo Mayer, a fantastic player, phenomenal player, jazz guy, you know, has moved now to playing electronic music. And somebody asked him his reason for doing so. And he said, man, you know, he'd been doing these clinics, jazz clinics, ridiculously good jazz player, phenomenal band. He walked into this club with some mates and mm-hmm. the whole place was just pumping. Everybody was moving, you know, bobbing up and down, doing yeah. what they were doing to this DJ. And he said, you know, as drummers, we've lost that. We've lost that ability to get people moving. Mm. You know, I've seen a lot of metal bands that can do this, you know, mosh pits and these sorts of things right. where the whole band is pumping. And that's an energy that I think everybody wants to be a part of. Mm. Whether you're doing it in, in a pop scene, a metal scene, you know, the, the, the aggression and just the, you know, the emotion that comes out in, in the punk styles and the thrash and all that mm. sort of stuff. I think bands have lost that. They're focused more on the content that they write rather than how they're delivering themselves mm. as a concept, as, a, as an entity, as a thing. You know, and, but there are bands that do it, and a lot of them actually come from this very town. Mm. You, know, you go and watch those bands, it's like, man, where was I all this time? These yeah. guys are phenomenal. I'm constantly blown away by new bands. Like every every week, there's there's a new band that I hear of, or there's a gig that I go to, and I'm just blown blown away by. And young. I mean, and they're so young. good, so young. Exactly. I was like, man, if I was this good when I was 17. I know. You know. I was a fucking moron when I was 17. But yeah, I see some of these kids like writing stuff that is getting on Triple J, yeah. writing stuff that's actually getting airplay. It, and, uh, you know, crafting these like awesome hooky songs. You it, know? It's and, funny too, because, we, you know, when I started playing for cover bands where you're not sort of playing your songs anymore. Yeah. And, um, you know, with the band that I'm in, it, it's, um, it's not really top 40. I mean, it's not top 40 stuff at all. So... But yet we've got this this gig that we're doing regularly to 18 to 25-year-olds at the mm-hmm. shed. And we're playing Eagles and we're playing Johnny Cash. And, and that's when you start to realize there's an element there that never goes out of style. And it works. It just works. Yeah. And I think part of that is being able to obviously read the crowd first. You can see what sort of stuff's working, be able to change it up on the fly. But when you're in a position where people are actually going to already know your songs, like you would be in a cover scene, mm-hmm. you can still lose them just as quickly. Yeah. And and I think a lot of people who, who never play covers, they get under this impression that it's easier for cover bands because you're not writing your own stuff. Well, everybody knows your stuff anyway. Right. Man, I'm telling you, it ain't that easy. Yeah. And I'll tell you why it isn't that easy, because you can mess it up a hell of a lot more than you can at an, at an original gig, because people will know when you've messed it up Right. Yeah. You know, in terms of the parts of the song, but they'll also know when you put a set list together that just sucks. And mm. believe me, you can have songs that people know that they don't want to be a part of. Mm. But the other thing is, too, the cover scene, as little as it is, there's more money floating in that. And with more money floating in the cover scene, you've got more people wanting that money. Mm. So there is competition in that scene. So you really have to be on top of your game. Musically, um, in terms of your organization, your professionalism, your mm-hmm. marketing. Uh, you know, and, and I think if, if original bands can take a moment to see how the successful cover bands do it, you can learn a lot. I mean, I certainly have. You know, I, mm. I, I was very close to this before. I'm like, playing a cover band. Yeah, that's mm, but you, yeah. you look at what it takes to even get a gig and keep it in a cover band. Man, it's tough. Mm. And, you know, and you're charging this amount of money that, you know, it's not a huge amount. It's, it's, a, it's a good pay for a band, but it's a hell of a lot more than a cover band, you know, yeah. than an original band where you, uh, an original band would go, oh, man, we'll take whatever comes through the door. Mm. Whereas with us, we charge a fee. Right. And you've got to justify that fee. And you can imagine there's 10 bands wanting to do that same gig for half price. Mm. And you've got, the, you've got the venue going, well, why shouldn't we take it for half price? 
all of a sudden, you've got to justify yourself. Hmm. You don't have that problem to worry about alone in, in an original band. Right. You know? And I'll tell you what, if you can answer that question and you can justify yourself in a cover band, you can justify yourself in any band. In fact, if you employed that in an original band, you're going places. Right. Because you've already got yourself your sales pitch right there. Mm-hmm. And people who haven't seen you before, um, agencies who perhaps want to book you but haven't heard of you before, and they go, well, why should I book you? Well, hang on a second. That's exactly the same answer I gave when I was in the cover band. Hmm. Because we offer you this, this, this. We can get you this many people to a gig because of this, this, this. Hmm. And you've probably noticed in the scene, really, you know, people, the, the crowds are dropping. Yeah, and and I, I refuse to believe that people have moved on from original music. I refuse to believe that because original music is better now than it ever was. Mm-hmm. And I think that people aren't getting the opportunity to see it. And part of that is because they're not taking the opportunity to see, to see it. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is because bands have become lazy. They, I said it. Yeah. There you go. I yeah. said it. You know, you can't just sit on Facebook and say, here's our next gig because everyone's doing that. Mm-hmm. Again, what is the consumer getting out of this? Right. Why would they want to come to your gig? Don't tell them how good you are. They'll decide how good you are. Hmm. Tell them how you're going to get them to a gig. What's in it for them? You know, if you can get them to a gig and you're so confident that your band is awesome, you'll get them on board. You'll get them on board. Right. But you better have a blow-away performance. Mm-hmm. If you've got your blow-away performance and you're still sitting around wondering why no one's coming to your gig, it's yourself to blame. Don't blame the venue. Don't blame the scene. <laughs> the scene is what we collectively... Create it. It's a reflection. It's 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 exactly what. Um, yeah, there, there are reasons why things happen. Yeah, so I mean, there's it, no one at the gig. There's an, there's an obvious reason why. If a thousand people are going to watch a DJ and you've got twenty people watching your band, don't ask what's wrong with society. Ask what the DJ is doing right. Mm, no. Ask what the DJ is doing right. And you know what? If 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 people turn around and say, well, oh, yeah, but that's that's what's popular at the moment. That's what they're putting on Rage, and that's what they're putting on all the TV shows. Well, you know what? If nobody listened to it. You, it wouldn't. It wouldn't stick around long. Yeah. But you've got to concede that as a musician, mm-hmm. you don't know everything. Yeah. And you, to try and predict what a non-musician, which is most of us, what a non-musician chooses to listen to and like, you've got to. You've got to explore that. Mm. It's not necessarily a musical concept that works. You know, I mean, Twelve Bar Blues has been used for decades, and still hit songs are coming out with those same chord progressions right. because they're proven to work. Mm. There is something about them that people identify with. There are certain melodies and hooks, certain strong song structures that works. Mm-hmm. There is a certain sound that DJs are employing right now, a certain tempo, a certain pitch that they have, which the majority of the population is just really digging right now. Mm-hmm. Don't hate them for it. Use it. Yeah, find what's uh, you know resonating with the crowd, and find a way to either tap into that or to, to kind of utilize it. Um, but yeah, you, you're definitely right. I think people with, with the whole cover band thing. I think the scrutiny for cover bands is way higher because people know the songs; they have a, a certain way of hearing the songs. So if you butcher that, you, you probably only have half half a song to one song to, to convince someone as a cover band. Would yeah. you would you say that? Yeah, I, I think um, as a cover band, I think the difference you have too, and which also makes it difficult, is people aren't necessarily there to even see you. Mm. You know, when you're at a venue where people are making their own entertainment, right. you're literally the jukebox. So your job is not to, um, well, essentially, you've got to keep them there, and you've got to keep them buying drinks over the bar, which is ultimately what an original band is there to do as well. And if you talk about it from the perspective of what the venue wants, mm-hmm. um, but the crowd that is there is generally there to see the bands, because other than the band playing in that venue, there's really nothing happening at that venue. Yeah. It's not necessarily a meeting place. 
place. Um, I mean, the shed where we play, people are going to be there regardless. And, and mm. you know, the crowd that comes in on a Saturday night versus a Sunday night versus a Friday, it's not the band that's deciding how many people are there. It's people are there. That's what it is. Mm. Um, but they're not necessarily interested in you. And, and you could be just as big a failure. But I tell you what, you, you can only do that for a little while before the next band's going to get you a gig. Mm. So you have to engage. I think the difference is with an original band, the crowd's already there ready for you. You just have to keep them. Hmm. With us as a cover band, I think there's a there's a tendency to need to get their attention and keep it. Um, <laughs> of course, from a venue, you don't want them too involved because then, of course, they're listening to you instead of buying drinks. Yeah. It's a subtle balance, you know, and everybody wants something different. But as a band, you, I think, as a band, are solely responsible for the success or failure of your band. Yeah. People yeah. are there. You hmm. need to know how to reach them, and you need to know what motivates them to come out. Hmm. I'm telling you, mate, 20 posters a day on Facebook does not motivate me, a music lover, to come and see your band. Mm. You know? Exactly. I think that's, that's a really important point. Yeah. It's beating them over the head. Mm. And, and there's only so many ways that you can pitch something the same way before someone doesn't even bother listening right. to you anymore. Mm. If you are the better person, get some marketing skill underneath you. Get some advertising skill, some some skill in communication, and figure out why these people are not interested. Mm. How do you make them interested? Can you make them interested? If you don't have the skill set to do it, then that's your reality. Play gigs mm. that fit within those confines. If you want to pitch for a 1,000-person gig and you want to start approaching venues, mm-hmm. man, you have to know that you can motivate 1,000 people to come you know, and, and, and most bands can't when they first start because it's not yeah. about them as a band. It's about their their ability to connect. Mm. And I don't think as a young band, you develop that from being in the band. You develop that from going to lessons in communication and marketing. Mm. Most people don't even want to look at that when they're in a band because they're there to make music. And that's yeah. cool. Mm. But these are two different skills. And, they're, and they're, they're skills that ultimately need to come together if your band's going to be successful. You know, mm. provided there are venues right now to give everybody a shot, it's cool, but you're going to have to remember that you're probably not going to have that many people repeatedly turning up to see you. Yeah. And that's cool if that's all you want. But don't turn around and blame the scene. Don't turn around and blame punters. Mm. You know, Like I said, I'm seeing the original scene and I'm seeing the cover scene, and they're both suffering. Mm. You know, Cover bands are not pulling band crowds that they're used to. They're not asking the money that they're used to. These are, these are facts. It's, you know, the crowd is not going from one scene to another. The bands, be they cover, original, DJs, they're not connecting with an audience who's chosen to put their interest somewhere else. Mm. We've got to win them back. And those inter- those crowds have to want to come back. Who has that answer? Who knows how to motivate people to get themselves back into a gig again? I mean, I'd be happy to see people at a cover gig right now. Mm. I'd prefer they come and see my original stuff. But I don't care. I just want people to love music again. Mm. And there's not a person around that I know that does not love music. You don't have to be a musician, but you have to love music. Mm. You know. And right now, I'm seeing more people who would rather be home having a barbecue, putting a CD on, than coming to a gig. Mm-hmm. How do you combat that? I don't have the answer necessarily. I'm, I'm asking. I'm pitching it out there. Right, yeah. How do we combat that? Mm. That's what I see. I don't blame that person. There are there's many nights I want to be sitting at home having a barbecue, yeah. you know, rather than you know being at a hundred miles away playing a show to three people somewhere else. And mm. and, and I love doing that. Mm. But some nights I want to be home. I understand. I get it. Mm. You know, I'd rather be watching a movie. Or, but here's my Saturday night. What am I going to choose to do? Well, I'm going to look at my options. If your band comes up as an option and it's an exciting option and it hits. Hits home in terms of what I want to do and what I want to see, and maybe I'm curious. Mm. If you've piqued my interest, 
then I'm going to be there. Mm. And then it's up to you to sell me that show so I keep coming back. Mm. But you've got to get that first gig first and you've got to get me there. I think it's a really good point you made about bands, especially bands coming out nowadays. They, they forget the groundwork that really needs to be done to, 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 uh, to see the benefits. They, they forget that you actually have to be resonating with people fundamentally on a grassroots level first. If that's what you want. If, if yeah, you want to connect, if mm. you want a big crowd and you mm. want to be famous, mm-hmm. there is a very, very loose methodology that you have to apply to do that. Right. And marketing is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. You know? And even then, there's no guarantees. Yeah. If you're happy saying, I just want to get a gig, man, I don't care, as long as my family turns up, then that's cool. And mm. you'll never be disappointed when 20 people turn up because that's what you wanted anyway. Mm-hmm. But you've got to be clear about what your goals are. And yeah. if your goals are to get as many people as possible to your gig because you think your music's awesome, then you'd better be well-versed in marketing. Mm-hmm. And you'd better have your communication skills down. And you better, most importantly, you better understand who your crowd is. Yeah. Because if you don't have that skill set down, you're going to be the best band that you've ever heard of. Hmm. Because I, no one I think I think it's kind of yeah. I think a lot of creative people stray away from the idea of um, the whole marketing side and the management side because they feel that it's I don't know it's it's but it's creative it's too. Weird, you but know? it's creative too. Hmm. You get to think about how do I do this? It's it's yeah exactly. I think it's they they miss out on the opportunity to realize that it's simply another way to market yourself in a different way. You know, face to face, how you talk to people, how you connect, yeah. how you even, you know, create the artwork or, or the website. Everything can be a creative in- endeavor. And in a nutshell, I mean, doing a gig is it's literally your marketing on stage versus your marketing off stage. Exactly. It's you just know? one facet of many facets of, of the band. I, as, I believe your success is made off stage rather than on. I mean, mm. you know, on is great, but I, I, it's almost a reward for those people that did turn up. It's really not furthering your career. Mm. Uh, I think your, your ability to perpetuate the good vibe that you have about your band happens off stage. Yeah. And it happens between gigs and mm. and you know I mean it's so important, you know, mm. but but not to everybody. So you know, like I said, understand who you want to be as a player, understand what your band wants to be, exactly, but understand yeah. the people you're trying to reach. Mm. If you can do that, you'll find that and sometimes you don't even know you're doing it, but you're finding that more people are coming to your gigs. Yeah. And you know, and if people are not coming to gigs, then how come we are seeing local bands with good crowds and growing crowds mm. who are, you know, one of which ARIA award winners now, mm-hmm. you know, and they've they've always been, you know, relative doing things their way. I'm talking obviously about Carnival, mm-hmm. you know, and they've they've done the groundwork and and fortunately for them, they're they're amazing musos writing some fantastic material, mm-hmm. and eventually they've reached a level where they've got support, and then from that support, they've thought, well, we need to perpetuate this, and and without a doubt, and I don't know this for sure, without a doubt, they've incorporated other people who are skilled in other areas and marketing and whatever to to keep that going and to keep that interest there, Um, you know, in terms of how often should we play and and what poster, who should we play with, where should we play Mm. next? Mm. Um, All of these things need to be thought about, um, and... You know, and they're doing fantastic now. But they've—I mean, Voyage is another one. Good friends of mine. Mm. They've been playing around the traps, doing what they've done in their own words, what they've done for for years. But mm. they've got a different pitch to what they're doing now. It's still Voyager. It's still fantastic music, fantastic musicians. But it's sharpened. It's sharpened towards the crowd that they know appreciate what they do. Mm. And now that they understand that, they can be selective about when they play, who they play with. 
because now, of course, the bands they play with are complementing what, what, what sells them. Mm-hmm. So it works to actually aid in furthering Voyager or furthering Carnival. It's all very well thought out. Mm. Uh, and, of course, then the opportunities for them, um, you know, when the, when the crowds are better, um, the, the, the crowds then tell their friends and, and whatever. And the crowds go because they know there's going to be crowds there. I mean, how many gigs have you gone to? Like, well, I've got to go to this because everyone's going to be there. Mm. No one even mentions the band. They just know it's going to be good. So when that, when that sort of activity starts to happen and you've done the groundwork to get some people to your show and it's turning out to be a pretty good vibe and people are turning up those people will ensure that their friends come along and you'll almost get a uh, a vibe you know that, that you want to be there not just for the bands but because your show brings with it a certain vibe that you want to mm. be a part of and yeah. then you're going to start attracting people that perhaps aren't even into your music but they're still going to have a great night mm. and off it goes yeah so you know and and that's in my in my experience how it's sort of been done i mean we, we did okay with black steel certainly not to the sort of the you know the, the the sort of level that voyage has done it but mm-hmm. it was still the same thing we did what we did and somewhere across the uh, you know along the line we identified with a certain type of listener uh, and we started pitching towards that listener and they came along and found friends of theirs who were into the same niche stuff that they were in mm. and it grew and 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 even better if no one else was doing it yeah. You know, because then you get everybody that's interested in it without any competition. Yeah, you've you've monopolised you know, the crowd because, yeah. There's no right or wrong, but there are certainly patterns, you yeah. know, and, and the more bands you go into, the more you see that these patterns are fundamentally the same. Definitely. From band yeah. to band, it, you know, yeah. but you've got to know this. Mm. You can't just go on knowing how well you play your songs. That's not going to do it for you. Yeah. It might make you feel warm and fuzzy when you get your applause, but then when you don't get a gig the next time, then you've got it. You know you can't blame anyone else. Or if people, yeah, if you can sell out an EP, plenty of bands can sell out an EP launch, but not have the momentum to keep going and um, keep producing those crowds. And yep. that's another problem. If so. you want crowds at your gig, of course, yeah. Then why aren't you after the gig mm. getting everybody in that crowd onto a mailing list? Yeah. You know, take a moment to do it. If they don't want to be on their mailing list, you've failed. You haven't motivated them to be on the mailing list. Yeah. There's nothing in it for them. Yeah. Right? There's always a way of doing things. If people are not motivated to be on a band that they say they love, they're either lying to you or you haven't sold it to them. Yeah. You know, and, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about hard sell. I'm talking about getting people on board with what you find, with what you're passionate about. Yeah. If they're passionate about it too, then there's no problem. Man, do you want to keep us, uh, do you want us to keep you? Uh, up to date with what we're doing so you know when, oh yeah, hell yeah man this was a great gig when are you playing next mm. bang get their email address you know how many bands I see pack their gear maybe feel like they're doing the right thing by watching the next band they'll sit back in the corner while they're sort of part packing up with their arms folded watching the band mm. man the crowd the band that band there they're not necessarily getting you another gig and mm. if they do it's only going to be with this crowd that you haven't bothered to acknowledge mm. you know get in amongst that crowd and do it I mean you hear people saying this all the time but seriously don't let those people go home without remembering who you are mm. you know do you have your um, band's name on your bass drum do you have a banner up do you have a card do you have something so that when this drunken guy who can't remember his name <laughs> when he wakes up tomorrow morning how is he going to remember that the awesome time that he had last night listening to uh, what was that band you, yeah, they need yeah. to remember these things. I hear that all the time. Man, there was a sick gig last night. Can't I remember can't the band. Remember who can't remember who it was. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. it was obviously good enough for him, who's, who's pro- probably a regular listener, uh, listener of bands. Yeah, for him to go, these guys were standout, awesome. Mm. 
can't remember who they were though. Yeah. You know, that that doesn't work, man. You've got to do better than that. Yeah. You have to assume that he is going to be a drunken guy with no memory. Yeah. yeah. He still has to wake up tomorrow morning with a card in his pocket or something so that you've got him on board. Yeah. It, well, even sober people forget because simply, I mean, music is, for some people, is um, just a way to wind down after work and then they forget about it the next day. You know, that's the extent of, but even then, you know. It doesn't mean that they can't be inspired to come back to another show. I mean, I think sure. you just have to resonate with exactly what makes a person tick, what, yes. what they associate those nights with, I think is very vital. Because you're right, um, I'd find myself in venues just because the venue had a vibe. Yes. Like, I think the old, the old amplifier was like that. I was always there. But amplifier also um, was, very, was very sensitive to that. Like, they mm, knew that was their clientele. Right. Yeah. So they would put on events and things. They were, they were um, behind it as well. Like, they, they were a part of it. You know, okay, we've got this sort of clientele. Mm. That is what it is. We're not going to say we're this kind of club, but you guys can come in. Mm. If that's working... Then it's working. Mm. Our club is now, you know, you've got like your DeVilles and, you know, uh, Mustang Bar and all these sorts of, you know, mm. Ellingtons. They've all got a vibe now. Yep. And the venue, more than anyone, knows that. And so the bands that they choose, the people that they advertise to, it's as I was saying before, they know what their market is. And when you've got a formula that works, a venue can capitalize on that. Mm. A band can capitalize on that. And a, a, a punter can capitalize on that. Mm. The venue has a band and a crowd that they know is going to be beneficial to them. The band's got a crowd that they know is going to be beneficial to them and a venue that supports them. And the crowd knows they've got somewhere to go where their friends are in an environment that they identify with. It's a win-win-win. Mm. But when you've, it's a great thing when you've got all of those different sort of cylinders firing together. Yeah. You know, and, and we're lucky enough with The Shed that it's very much like that. You know, the, uh, the lady that manages The Shed, she's very much in tune with her club and, and, and what it wants and if you haven't been check it out because the sheds it's not like a club like you'd think you know, I think it's, I've been there twice and it's it's, it's really, like a backyard really barbecue cool. man it it's, it's open air mm. it's, it's people going oh I'll just go to a barbecue don't go to a barbecue man come to the shed they've got a bar and yeah. it, it's it's great you know the security guys are really nice and you know the people they're all Irish anyway they're all backpackers but it's really cool. There, there's really interesting people there, and it is so laid back. It's such a great vibe, you know. Mm. Um, but but that's cool. Like that's the lady that, that organised it. She understands that, and she's pitched that. And and you can tell when you walk into it. It's not like any other club. Mm. It's got its vibe. And if you like that, that's where you're going to be, mm. you know. And and as you said, with your club, same sort of thing. You go where there's a vibe. There yeah. are always mm. people going out. And it's it, it, you develop a comfort zone as well. Sure, like you're comfortable with the people there the demographic of people you're comfortable even with down to the lighting or just the way the place is set up you, you develop a, a sense of comfort for the actual venue so you associate it with positive vibes yes so you just you, you end up there every every week just by default you know you're just there and um yeah but I, I think I've been to the shed like twice but that was years ago so yeah yeah when are you playing next uh well I'm off overseas but um it's in about three weeks' time, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, always Sundays. We play Sunday, nice and early, eight thirty to eleven thirty. So um, you know, old guys like me can get there. They're not so much beauty sleep and be back at work by seven a.m. the next morning. So, um, but no, it's you know, and whatever your thing may be, if it may be the shed or something, mm. ever, just find something that you're interested in. You know, as a band yeah. and as a punter, and just go for it. I mean, you know, everything we sort of discussed tonight, it, it is all still related, you know. It you, is. If you're trying to achieve something, identify with the people that you're trying to win over mm-hmm. um, and, and get the skills to be 
as we said before, tolerant of, of their of their views, you know, mm. to be uh, to to sell that passion to them in a way that connects with them, to mm. get them thinking for themselves, to go, well, you know, I want to find out more about this. Mm. Hit those buttons, get people, uh, get people inquisitive, you know, get them thinking about it, mm. uh, and then you'll find that they'll do all the marketing in the world for you, yeah, you know, and and you can go on and, and concentrate on playing music or doing what yeah, you want, yeah. knowing full well that you're getting an army of people behind you that are at least willing to. Um, Put some some groundwork into the thoughts that you've placed into their head because you've you've pitched it to them in a manner that motivates them and it inspires mm. them and puts a fire under them to you yeah. know, to to go and find out for themselves. And it's it's universal as well. It's like every every industry, every every aspect of your life, you can apply this to. It is if, life. It is if, life. Yeah, even if it's like just making friends or being more social, what, people that feel awkward in those situations. What? Why is it? Where does it stem from? Yes. And, and how can you overcome that? Or, or what is it that you're lacking that's making people misunderstand you? Or There's so many... Yeah, but it, it's all connected. And it's, it's, as I get older, I find that everything is connected. You know, whether it be music or work or relationships or yeah. chemistry between people, whether it be politics, it's all kind of joined sure. together. And, and I guess, you know, 20 years ago when, when I was trying to make my mark doing what I felt was important at the time, mm. you know, this would have been a very different interview. And, yeah. and in, I'm sure in 10, 15 years, if we do this interview again, it's going to be a very different interview. It and, never ends. Yeah. And I think that's an important point because at any age, you know, you've got a set of values and beliefs that are important to you. And, mm-hmm. and, and right now that's it for me. Just, you know, be cool to everybody. But if you want to sell something to everyone, take some time to understand that other person and what's mm. going to actually motivate them. Don't just give them the hard sell. Like, yeah. Let people decide what's important for them and yeah. explore what's important to them mm. you know and, and as i said and at a different stage in my life i may have some very different views but I, you know i'm i'm enjoying where it is right now and you know i'm i'm in a pretty good position you know i've got a, mm. a lovely wife and i've got a nice place and and and, and that maybe that's not important to some people but it's important for me and you know mm. and i think at the end of the day the pursuit of happiness is everything and 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 i'm happy mm. and and while these set of sort of um sort of guidelines that i'm living by are keeping me happy i see no reason to see them any differently or to you know or to change Mm. my perspective on what I think is right you know mm. well you're in a good place you're in a good place which is good yeah I think a lot of people are they don't know how to get to that place so they're really frustrated and then they get cynical and they get bogged down and it's really sad to see especially if you have a friend that you know can't seem to get out of a, a certain loop or a, a certain cycle of negativity it's it's really it's hard because you, you, you're trying to, to show them that there, there is a way out. And, and even I, I, I'm not saying that I'm always you know, perfect and all that stuff because yeah. everyone, I think, finds himself in that spot where they kind of don't know where things are headed a little bit. They're a bit scared. You know, I, I, you think, know. I think people need to feel self-worth and, mm. and I think they need to feel that they have the, the strength to solve their own problems. And, mm. and, and in that regard, I think that solving the problem for them is in itself a problem. Mm-hmm. I think that if you show someone how to get out of their hole, they won't dig it. Mm. You give them a shovel and tell them how to use a shovel, they'll, think, they'll figure out a way as soon as they believe that they're going to be able to do it. Mm. I know that sounds you know, really sort of, um, you know, it's one of those, it's almost on a motivational poster kind Self-help. of Give someone a shovel and he'll dig himself <laughs> out. Sort of. But, but it's, it's true because I think people get into this position because mm. they don't have a belief in themselves or there's something that, there's a hurdle there mm. and and you know you see a hurdle you walk over it yeah. and it's not a problem until you don't believe you can walk over it anymore yeah. and and then or you, you can't get your friend to go pull the hurdle out of the way because that hurdle's not moving mm. and even if you do they're going to hit the next hurdle what you need to give them as a friend is to the best of your knowledge the skills 
such that when you reached that hurdle, this is how you got over it. Yeah. But it's got to be pitched, again, pitched in a way that this person believes that with those skills that you gave him, they can solve the problem. Mm. You don't want him to believe that, well, with the skills he gave me, I can see how he solved his problem. That's not helping them. Yeah. You need to make them see how this is going to get them out. Once they've got the belief that they'll do it, mm-hmm. they will do it. Because people with the belief and none of the skills still manage to do these sorts of things that we're talking about. People that have been that have come from very hard backgrounds, that have had no skill, no education. I mean, we look at you know guys like your. Um, I'm not sure if Steve Jobs is an example, but you know these guys that you know they dropped out of school. And, sure, like Richard Branson's. Branson, that's the guy yeah. I'm thinking of. So yeah. you know, people Einstein, you know, yeah. told him you'd never do it. You know, flunked out of this and. But he made it because he mm. had the passion and he honestly believed, either knowingly or not knowing, but he, there was something inside him that says, I can do this and I'm going to find a way. I may not know now, but I do know that it's worth me trying to pursue it because I believe that I can do it. And that's what I think that a lot of people, particularly with depression and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff, there's so much telling them that they can't. Yeah. Or they, they've, they've managed to convince themselves that they can't. That's, I think that's yeah. That's right. And mm. so the real skill that you give them is the ability for them to overcome their own thought and say, well, you know what? I am wrong. Hmm. And I know that I, I can o- overcome it. And now I can look at how. Yeah. I honestly believe I can do it. I don't have the skills yet, but I honestly do believe right down to my core that I can overcome this. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to branch out to my friends going, look, I need help. Yeah. You know? And, and unfortunately, a lot of those people, that, that self-worth only comes from having some success and starting to get themselves out of the hole before they believe it. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunate because, you know, you have to have the belief first. Even when it comes to things like losing weight, mm-hmm. you know, people are motivated once they see one or two kilos coming off. Results, yeah. Results. People, yeah. Are, you know, but you've got to have a belief, mm. you know, and, and it can come from the strangest of places. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've, I've even, I've you know, myself and my wife, we, we went on a bit of a weight loss thing last year and mm-hmm. very easy for us, but, but then I've never had a problem with weight. So I'm not going to be, you know, oh, well, I did it like this and blah, blah, blah. But I'm sure I'll offer that that opinion in, in terms of what works mm-hmm. for me. And if you care to take it on, that's great. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if you don't hit that self-belief within the individual, your skills won't help. And, and it's frustrating for the person who's trying to help too because you honestly believe that, man, why can't it work for you? It worked for me so well. Mm. you know. And, and then you start blaming them. Yeah, but you just weren't doing it right, man. Try it like this. Yeah. It's not that simple yeah. because you, what you're not giving somebody is a solution. You are giving somebody the, the means to help themselves. Mm. you know. And, and um, again, this is my view on it. You know, I, I, I haven't had a lot of experience dealing with people with you know, serious issues, you know, mm. suicidal issues. And yeah. I mean, I've certainly had my brushes with some people, some very close to me, but not kind of to that extent, but right. certainly are troubled and certainly need help, mm-hmm. um, you know, who, who both blame themselves, they blame society, they blame everything. And, um, you know, I can't go in playing that I know better mm. because I'm in a better position than you because it doesn't help them. Yeah. It just pushes them further into the sand. Mm. Um, but I do know, like I said, that these people, when you find something, again, that motivating factor that gives them that sense of self-worth, they'll run with it. Mm. And once it starts showing results, boom, by God. That you can't problem, stop it. You can't stop it. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and look at, uh, I mean, to take a cliched example, back to the weight thing, the biggest loser. Mm. You know, you see these people, they struggle, they bitch, they moan, they complain. And they start losing 15 kilos. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they're personal trainers. And because once you get into a system that you know works and you've got results, mm. then you have the belief and the results. Mm. And there's no going back. 
Yeah. You know, and, and I think they use this whole thing, it's a, it's a change of life. You know, it's not a diet change, it's not an exercise change, mm. it's a change of life. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what it is. When we're talking about things like depression, when we're talking about, you know, musicians doing better for themselves or whatever, it, there's an outlook, there's a perspective. Once you have the belief and you have the skills, that will move you forward. Mm. Once you see the results of those, there's no going back. Yeah. It's, in, it's incredibly empowering. You can't stop the train once it's, yeah, once it's gone. Yeah. But the belief gets shaken when, of course, you get all those skills and it doesn't work. Mm. And so you still have to be prepared for that. And I think that part of the skill set that you give somebody is also teaching them to deal with setbacks mm. where you've done everything right and you do believe it should have worked mm. and it didn't. Bands, again, can learn from this because when you do all the promo and no one turns up, mm. you've got to be prepared for that. You yeah. know, it's just, it's a big, it, it is it's shattering. A big formula. Yeah. It's a big formula. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you, when you, when you believe deep in your heart that you've done everything that you possibly thought was required and you don't see the result mm. and then you, you set back again and then you, it's very easy to get back into that cycle of sure. believing that you can't do it or it's and, not. You know, and I'd probably say more often than not, mm. that's the way things go. Yeah. 90% of the time. Mm. So let's not talk about the you know the, the champagne we're going to pop when you're rehabilitated. Mm. Let's talk about what happens the first, second, tenth time you fall off that wagon, mm. because this is the reality of it. Just because you're moving forward doesn't mean it ain't going to go back. Right. You know you've got to be prepared for setbacks, mm-hmm. and and they can be unexpected, sure, but you've got to be prepared to handle it when it happens. You know, and and um, again, I don't have the answers, but th- mm. my experience is that you can sometimes feel as though you've done everything right. And you still don't yield that result. Yeah. But to, to view that and say, well, this is not the end of the world. I can do better. Than, oh, here's something I can improve for next time. Here's some people go, well, man, I tried it and it didn't work. Hmm. It's over. And then you hear some people go, well, I tried it, it didn't work, but I know why. We'll do it again. Hmm. This is what I did wrong. You know, that's the two kinds of people we're talking about, the half full hmm. and the half empty guys. You know, Or, or even just they, they start to to get angry and they use anger and they say, fuck that. That's rigged. That's this. That's that. You know. Um, they, they find ways to justify why it was an external problem and not an internal Blame problem. Blame someone else. Is, I mean, yeah. it's, it, it's not the right way. Yeah. You know, you went through this with drumming. I go through it every day. There mm. are going to be things that you can't do. Yeah. And I always tell my students, it's not bad to be frustrated because mm. it means that when you're over that frustration, and I'll give you the skills to do that, when you're over that frustration, you will have realized that you've accomplished something that you could not do before. Mm. And it was so important to you before that you were getting frustrated that you couldn't. So you now have a very clear indicator that you've that you've progressed. Mm. So if you never get frustrated, if you never hit a limit, that's a boring life. Yeah, because yeah. you you will never be challenged. And look, challenging being challenged sometimes it, it sucks and it's frustrating and, mm. and it's always at an opportune time. Yeah. And sometimes it happens so much repeatedly it just, it pisses you off. Mm. But you get over that. There's that progress that we're talking about that just motivates you to push further. Yeah. Uh, and once you lose the fire to do that. Mm. You're in, a, you're in a bad place. Because you can see it, it's tangible. You've gone through a rough spot and then you've overcome it. So you can always keep using that as a reminder. It, that it's, a, it's a flag in the ground. It's a, exactly, it's a, it's a yeah. benchmark moment. But the it's good the, thing is, the more frustrated you are, the more significant a success it is mm, when that happens. Mm. You know, And the harder it is, the bigger the result when yeah. you get over it. You just cannot believe for a second that you're not going to get over it. Mm. That's a different problem. Yeah. If, you, if you're so frustrated, I'm never going to get this, and you honestly believe that, hmm. then you need some help. Yeah. You know, you, you never give up. You yeah. never, ever give up. You know, and, and if it's not giving you enjoyment, move away. 
Yeah. Because at the end of the day, man, I honestly believe everything you do is 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 just to you know is to increase your your happiness and your and your yeah. you mm. know your sense of contentment in life. And mm. and from the great uh, Dom Famolaro to, to bring his name up, you know, he said to me uh, when it comes to playing drums, he goes, you know, I've been doing this all around the world for decades, and he says the moment it's not fun anymore. I'm out of here. Yeah. You know, words to live by. Mm. Words. Why Why put yourself up to it if you don't feel you need to and it's not giving you any enjoyment? Mm. And I think a lot of people tolerate what they do, you know, whether it be challenges with work, with bands or relationships, relationships. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever mm. it may be. Assess, analyze. Again, same with these drum lessons, same old thing. Mm. Self-analyze. Self yeah. What is it worth to me? Yeah. What am I not doing? If it's a relationship, if it's a band, if it's a job, what do they want from this? What do I want from this? Am I getting it? Can I get from this what I want? Mm -hmm. If not, am I just bashing my head against a wall? Is it worth trying to overcome? Or do I cut my losses and say, you know what? My pursuit of happiness is actually in another direction. Mm. Don't waste another minute of it. Mm. You know, you, you know, it, it's, it's good to be um, concerned with everybody and it's good to be sensitive to everybody's mm -hmm. needs. But you've got to be honest with yourself too. Because if you're not happy, you're not going to make anyone else happy, and and you know you've you've got to keep pursuing that. I honestly believe it. You know you've got to keep pursuing it. And if you're not happy, then you need to address it sooner rather than later. Mm. Because those little things, those little niggly things, can and will end up being your undoing if you're not careful. You know. Yeah, and they can become permanent aspects of your life. You know, yeah. whether it be you know just being addicted to cigarettes or something. You yeah, know? or just being that guy that's always negative or, or that guy that is mm. always, you know, the one that looks to the ground being mopey and for some reason they think, oh, that's just his personality. Mm. You know, and sometimes they're proud of it. I say, yeah, I mean, I just yeah. I don't like people. And, of I course, mean, they're, 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 it, it's a self-fulfilling thing because then they'll seek out things that re reinforce their belief. And other people that have the... Yeah. Exactly, and then they go, well, see, everyone's fucked. You get they're the mopey all the same. Club. That's right. You know, and you're like, well... I don't know. You, you, you're, you're adjusting. The universe is literally how you construct it. Yeah, but so. how much do you see that? I mean, yeah, mm. your, your friends, for example, are usually just a reflection of yourself. Mm. And those that aren't like you, they're like, oh, yeah, well, he's the crazy friend. Yeah. You know, you always have that one friend who actually isn't like you, and you sort of warn your other happy friends that <laughs> there's this guy, and, and, like, he's really cool, but he's just not all that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that's funny to me because, you know, I, I believe that you do – you do attract people that are reflections of yourself mm. and and you know but somehow you get this guy that walks in that probably isn't you but for some reason you seem attracted you know to one another and yeah. you so always warn your friends and everybody's got that one friend that it's like yeah he's a little bit different but he's cool but he's cool and and that's that's great but how many often do you see it you know yeah. you see all these happy people and they're surrounded by happy people yeah you know and you see these miserable people these violent people who just somehow manage to find other unhappy violent people mm. You know, yeah. and, and and those two crowds don't actually want to mix with one another too, which is part of the problem. Maybe if you yeah, took yeah. some of the grumpies and mixed them with the happies, it, who knows what would happen. <laughs> but but you know, if they're happy being where they are, and the other people are happy being where they are, there's no problem. But mm. as soon as you're not happy with where exactly, they are, yeah, as soon as there's something sucking out the positive positivity and inspiration out of your life, it has to be addressed. Mm. You know, and you can call those like as emotional vampires. You know. <laughs> Which is, which is kind of true because, you know, a, a vampire can be anything from a job to whatever's sapping your inspiration, your positivity yeah. has to be addressed. Yes, yeah. you're absolutely right. And I, I think everybody at some point, even right now, will have things in their life that Definitely. probably are feeling a, a, a more effort than they're worth. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, you've, you've got to be aware of them and you've got mm -hmm. to be analysing them and you've got to be looking at ways to resolve them. Yeah. You know, because they do they do become – I mean, we hear about suicide. So they, they become big problems. Mm. And, unfortunately, the people that have these big problems, that 
a lot of them don't talk about it, you know, that, and it's it's sad. Yeah. You know, and you as a friend, you say, well, man, I feel like I could have done something or, you know, and, and, and they'll never tell you. They'll mm. never tell you. But, you know, from an early age, again, as a parent, you've got to try and instill onto all you know, the children, you know, be mm. in school. It's okay to be frustrated. It's That's where okay. it all starts. Yeah. It's okay. But, you know, I'm going to help you overcome this. I'm going to show you how that even though you're frustrated, I'm going to give you the tools to, to help you get over these things. You just have to believe that you can. Mm. And, and you know, when you instill that in a child at two, three years old and they have their successes mm-hmm. and they have their belief and more importantly, they have their little setbacks. By the time they're a teenager and early, you know, early adult, when they're starting to have what we'd probably call real problems, <laughs> yeah. affording a mortgage, getting a good job, right. relationships. I mean, mm-hmm. these things are, you know, compared to what the problems you have as a kid, you know, wanting sure. new shoes, these are, yeah. these are bigger problems. Yeah. But the, the skills are there. They're equipped in those in those children. And, mm-hmm. and I guess another another good point about it is they learn to identify people who have problems of their own and, and they, they're, they're open to that. And so if you see, you know, somebody coming up the street who's miserable and looking to pick a fight, you probably feel more uh, sympathy for them rather than, you know, the need to punch them in the head because you don't right. like why they are. Because mm. everyone's got their own battles. And to be able to identify with that and go, man... I know what your problem really is, and I'm not suggesting you start preaching them on the street, mm. but you're less likely to get into a confrontation because you just you don't want that yourself. Mm. You actually feel sorry for the guy. Why give him a world of hurt? Mm. You know, it's like the saying: the bigger man always walks away. Or, but it's so true. If you've got the skills to relate to people and understand people and tolerate people, you don't need to be getting yourself into into these sorts of things. You know, mm. I mean, you get into a fight, you get into a fight, but nine times out of ten, you can avoid it. You kill people with kindness, man. That's that's my way. Yeah. Be honest, but be aware of the you know the needs of the other person too. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. as I said earlier, there are people that certainly just want to go out and give you a hard time, and, and that's a different situation as well. But don't avoid people who are who are down. Mm. You know, don't avoid people who um, are a lot happier than you, and you're not happy. If you've got mm. issues and you feel like sharing them, who knows, man? Maybe these people can help. Mm. And those people who can help, don't avoid the people who. Are looking to you for help, yeah. But don't give them the answers. Challenge these people. Mm. Let them make their own discoveries because that will empower them to conquer their own problems. Yeah. You know, if you're begging for money and someone gives you fifty bucks, that's good. But if you build something that you can sell for fifty bucks, you've just you've just earned yourself a trade, mm. and you've just found something within yourself that is not only um, a skill, but it's profitable. Mm. You've just made a name for yourself, and, and that's the difference. You know, you've you've given yourself a means to continue on and go to that next level. It's like, you know, give them a rod versus teach them how to fish. It's right. exactly that story. Hmm. Don't give people answers to their problems. Help them overcome them. Hmm. You know, give them the power to do so. Isn't it weird that people also uh, feel insecure about people that are really successful as well? Jealousy it's, aside, we're talking? Um, <clears throat> kind of. I think, well, I think it just mainly stems from jealousy. But, you know, that there are people that just don't like people because they're too happy. Like, or, or, or they... Then I feel sorry for them. <laughs> I really, look, hey, don't get me wrong. I mean, if I want to be famous and I, and I see somebody that I think is doing everything that I wouldn't do and everything that I, I think is wrong mm. and they're getting the success that I'm not, yeah. there's jealousy there for sure. Yeah. But if he's a friend of mine that has worked hard and I've seen him rise to those heights and he's more successful than me, and I've seen this because I have taught some of these guys that, <laughs> that are in bands bigger than I wish that I could be in, you know, and yeah. I'm like, man, you know, yeah. I'm the guy that's teaching some of these guys and then they're out getting all famous and that's what I want, you know. Yeah. 
But, man, good on them. Yeah. Good on them. But if you they see, found a way to do you it. You could have gone down that road. You could have gone down that road of being cynical and a, bit, a little bit bitter and jaded. Sure. But you, you haven't. And, and, so. I have, and I have been, Daryl. Mm. You know, I have been. There are people that have man, you don't deserve to do that. Yeah, you sell out this. And, yeah. You know, and, and again, that's the younger years where mm. I want it, I want it now, and I'm working hard, and why can't I have it? And damn it, this guy that I hate just got it. Yeah. You know? It's not that black and white. And you don't know how hard these other people have worked. I mean, look exactly. at the, the politicians we talk, I was talking mm. before about. I can't hate people. That's a strong word. Mm. Because you don't know how hard they're working. You're getting a highlights reel from media that perhaps you don't even trust. Yeah. These guys have done something just to annoy the public. It doesn't work like that. Mm. People, you, you don't just get famous. Mm-hmm. You may be lucky. But that's not perpetuating anything. If you want to stay, if you if you want to be successful and you happen to get there, I guarantee you it's come from hard work mm-hmm. and continued work. Yeah. You know, and I can't hate people that do that because if I aspire to be that, I would be best to learn from those people, not to stand back and hate them. Mm. You know, that's one thing I've learned probably in the last, I'd say probably 10 years as a musician yeah. Yeah. because you see a lot of musicians that, are doing really well and and man I can't hate those guys they've got the key to the door that I've been trying to open yeah you know and, and would I give it all up tomorrow to be in a famous band yeah who wouldn't that's yeah. why I started Metallica on stage playing in front of all that I still want that that's my golden goal yeah but I'm not going to sacrifice everything that I believe in to get there yeah now if somebody has done that and they're getting there I can I can be envious of their position but you can't hate them for it hmm. they've had a different set of skills that as a result, have yielded them what I've been chasing. I'm trying to get there via a different path. Mm-hmm. And then you have questions about, well, what are my values worth versus the success that I want? Because if they meet at a head mm. and you have to sacrifice one, or compromise, my yeah, values yeah. aren't going. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. Because the values are something you keep with you. If I don't make it as a famous musician, then that's, that is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's not like I've made it and then lost it. Yeah. I've, I've never had that. So, you know, got nothing, got nothing to lose. Yeah. But if I start becoming a different person or making different decisions or changing my core values to get that thing that maybe I don't even want when I get it, yeah, that's a problem. Hmm. You don't want to be doing that because I am a result of my values. I'm not a result of the goal that I'm chasing, right? And yeah. so everything that I do as a muso, as, as a person, is around what I find important as a value, mm-hmm. right? I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. Centrelink. Right period of time when I was unemployed and I had my parents saying to me go out and get the doll you know you've worked all your life you've been paying for exactly this for the ability to be able to have some assistance mm-hmm. while you're working between jobs it's exactly what, what it's there for right. you've paid for it you've worked for it you're looking for work you're struggling you don't have an income at the moment go and get it I flatly refused to do it mm. now people would say you're crazy man I know I'm entitled to it I know I should be, but there is a value I have that says to me, there are people also that need that money who, who do fit into the category that I was in at the time, unemployed, fine. But I honestly believe that if I was going to work hard at something, I could get myself a job, mm. get myself a job that I wanted. I had a job within a week, Yeah, right? It just took me to go, you know what? I don't want to be on the dole. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but for me personally, mm. There is a value attributed to being on the dole, and mm-hmm. you always hear about it being spoken of negatively. And unfortunately, that's what I've always been up, uh, brought up to believe. My mum mm-hmm. my and dad have always said, well, you know, you've got to work hard and put in the overtime and don't just think of yourself and, mm-hmm. and save your money and all that sort of stuff. And that's just, they are my, co- my core values. So when someone says, man, you don't have to be without money, just go on the dole. I was like, mm-hmm. well, I know I don't have to be out of money, so why don't I just go get a job? 
Mm. You know. Yeah. So again, my my assessment uh, is, is is all to do with my values. I mm. analyze things according to my values, uh, yeah. and I could very easily go on the doll. But it's not for me. That's not what I find important. And I would never give that that sense of working hard, finding a job. Um, I'd never give that up. That, those are my values because I, I feel as though I have an importance. I have something to give in terms of teaching mm. uh, or yeah. retailing, whatever it may be. These are a skill that, that I feel I can serve the community. It right. costs me nothing to do that. Mm. In fact, somebody pays me to do that. Mm. So I give up nothing by finding those jobs. Who knows? As badly as I want a job, Using those skills, there might be somebody out of, out there who's wanting somebody with those skills just as badly. Mm. There's no point sitting back, collecting money, pretending to go out to look for work, which is, again, the value that I sort of attribute with being right. on the doll. Even though that's not what it is or not what it shouldn't be, mm-hmm. that's the way I perceive it. How about I go out and find someone who wants my skill set and I'll give it to them? Because if I'm looking hard enough, and again, if I can identify with my audience, I'll find that job. Yeah, I'll find that, that value. You know, mm-hmm. it's... Um, like I said, that's that's a good yeah. That's a, that's an amazing way of, of of looking at it, and I think yeah, I definitely um, am inspired by that because you often hear you're right. Yeah, it, it is often the other way that you know you can. It's so easy to to get on the dole. They just give you money for doing nothing. But you know what? And and, and I and I do get lazy. Mm. And, and, and there are times when I don't want to do anything. Right. And, and there are times when I'm jealous. I mean, I've just spoken about all this stuff. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a guideline. It's a principle to live by. Mm. And you don't always achieve that. You're not perfect. And you, that's yeah. the setback. Mm. You know, that you, your goal is to be this perfect person where mm. all your core values are acted upon every single day of your life and everyone's happy. But like I said, I, my core values, I'm never going to sit back and just, you know, collect money or whatever. But I'm quite happy to sit home when maybe I could be out meeting people or even going and seeing a band. Mm. I get lazy, hmm. you know. I get stubborn. I get jealous. I get too opinionated. I ram, you know. I do, yeah. but I don't aim to be. And right. and you know, and through listening to things like these interviews, and I'm sure I listen back. Go, man, what are you talking about? But <laughs> that's the reflection. Right. You've got to look at and go, man. I really wasn't right, you know, when I did that, or 15 years ago when I told that guy he was a dickhead. You know, that really wasn't right. Hmm. You know, you don't have to dwell on it, but realize that you're not living by your values, mate. Yeah. Pick up your game. Don't do that again. Yeah. Make a note in your head. Put up a flag and say, next time someone's confronting you, in confronting you, don't get aggressive. Don't call him names. Mm. You know, I learned a lot of that actually from martial arts. Yeah. Um, you know, this whole thing about being one within yourself. I mean, the Chinese philosophy in particular, the Chinese, oh, man, we could learn something from that culture. Mm. I'm talking, you know, the ancient culture about the, the honor and, the, you know, respect of self and, and, right. and all that sort of stuff. And, 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 and sort last, of mastering the mind. Of, oh, yeah. man. My, my and body mm. I and mean, obviously with martial arts it was a combination of both but uh, the, the patience and just the just the, the perseverance to be mm. able to, to master something to the degree that those people did and even now you know with their skills you know it's not about their money it's about their honour it's about their manners mm. it's about their personality they will 100% of the day project themselves the way they want to be projected and I'm sure they mess it up too sometimes mm-hmm. but yeah. when you travel overseas and we were talking about this earlier mm. just the not just the difference in culture but the difference in personality that these people when you talk to them if you're in a, a taxi in Bali or in Malaysia or Borneo wherever it may be or in America mm-hmm. you seem to find that these people want to be uh, what you think you want them to be. They're, they're very polite. Mm-hmm. They want to understand your way. They're accommodating. They're yeah. accommodating, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. it's nothing out of their day to do that for you. Mm-hmm. Their their day is you've got to be open to, to all, all kinds of people. You've got to be polite. You can be yourself. You be yourself, but mm-hmm. it's not about you. When you're having a conversation, 
what is this other person next to me? Mm. Find out about him. Who is he? Where does he come from? You know, and that's not it's not just taxi talk. I'm talking about the general pitch of a person. Mm. We don't tend to have that, I don't think, in Australia. Mm. We tend to be a little bit, this is who I am. Yeah. Um, you know, myself included. You go over overseas and it's it's people that want to be accommodating to you. Mm. It's people that have personalities that want to accommodate you. Yeah. It's like, man, you guys are so polite. You know, don't you have any sort of you know, ambitions yeah. or goals or disagreements this, or anything. Yeah. It's like, Doesn't this wear you out? And, but of course they, they do. They, they, but it's not important. Mm, you know, exactly. when they're talking to you, it's mm. about let's get conversation going here. Who mm. are you? I want to know about you're, you. You're facilitating or accommodating for communication to open up. But, and maybe yeah. it's part of their whole culture that mm. it's not It's not a singular thing with the Chinese. You know, mm-hmm. well, I say Chinese because that's what I've had experience with. But mm. with, with these cultures, it's more about the concept of community, uh, even their own government. It's, it's not about the one for one. It's about the one for all. Mm. You know, some people have differing views about those kinds of things, but it certainly creates a different kind of person, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and and there, are, there are good things about those people that I think we can learn from yeah um and and we, we should never be shying away from that and mm. and if you get the opportunity to travel you absolutely have to do it just yeah. just for that alone people mm. you know you, when you understand different people mm. and the way different people are <clears throat> and you know because it amazes me when i went to borneo these people are so happy and they've got nothing mm. they have nothing you know you look at their wages and like my god mm. how do you live on this <clears throat> and you go and see their homes and Half of them don't have roofs. They just share houses most of the time. You know, have you seen the long, people in them? The long houses? Oh, yeah. man. You know, and, and I've gone out to do, do some gigs up in the Pilbara where you might be in those sorts of accommodation, mm. and you think, man, I couldn't do more than a day or two of this. Yeah. And that's the country we've got. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've got people that live like that, you know, and, and actually some do in the Pilbara, believe it or not, and mm. you know, but overseas, when that's the norm rather than the poverty line, and these people are happy. I mean, they're so happy. Mm. So happy, and I'm, I'm, that's where jealousy comes out of me. I'm looking at you going, man, I have so much more than you do, mm. but you found something that I haven't, and that's, that's genuine happiness. Yeah. And it hasn't come through, as much as I like my technology and my, my, you know, my material goods, I know that that's not giving me happiness, and I know it's not essential for giving me happiness because I can see people with none of that that are very happy. Yeah. They've got a family. They've got a job that pays them nothing over there that works them you know, six days a week, 12 hours a day, but they are happy. Mm. You know? And again, if you get the opportunity... You have to go and experience it. Travel is the best way to learn. Um, it's the only everything. news you need. Mm. It's the only news you need. Exactly. People will tell you everything you want to know, mm. and yep. you'll get it from a reliable source. Exactly. Yeah. You know. So it's. Um, wow. Yeah. What a great chat. <laughs> That's amazing. Hope I covered for the other guy that wasn't coming in. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's that's great, man. It's it's uh, finally good to have a decent chat with you because mm. I know that we've we've talked from time to time on the internet, but. We didn't touch on 9-11. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm avoiding that, but you know, that's, that's, that's another interesting problem. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't avoid certain conversations. Uh, if, if, it, if it's natural, I'll, I'll talk about uh, it. But. Well, yeah, look, I did a lot we'll of work on it. I'm we'll happy to have that. a conversation, but I'm not going into it right now. <laughs> not at all. Let's save that for next time. <laughs> um, is there anything else you wanted to, to, to plug? Uh, anything to do with Cosmic or any workshops coming up or any gigs that you're playing? Uh, oh look you know you'll find out about them if I'm any good at promoting them sure but, uh, well, look, that's, that's b- bottom line man look it. for musos mm-hmm. you hear it so often go out there see a band it, you know we all know this this is fine but it's not just about that if you want to be making a difference in the scene 
the only thing that's going to make a difference in the scene is the people that are attending it and getting behind it. Mm. That's not your band. Yeah. That's the people that are coming or not coming to your band. If those people are not getting there, you've got to regroup and figure out why. Mm. That is it. Or at least address why, or at least look into why. People will create the scene when the scene has something in it for them. Mm -hmm. Until that day, we have to be motivating people. It's like we're jump-starting an engine. Mm. If we we are going to sit back and go, the scene needs help, then the bands and the people that support the bands and the live scene, we need to be jump-starting it, but we need to be clever about how we do it. Mm. People are apathetic People have very low concentra- uh, very short concentra- uh, concentration spans now, mm-hmm. and the bar in which we need to raise things to keep people's attention is very, very high. That is the standard now for bands. That's it. If you can't achieve that standard, don't have unrealistic goals about what you want from your band. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and be honest, if you're not fit for the stage, as much as you may want to do it, if it's a disservice to the community... Don't play those venues. Mm. Don't hurt the venues. Don't hurt the scenes through your disorganization mm-hmm. and, and your, your lack of preparation. But for all of us that are in bands, guys, we've got to get, we've got to get coordinated. We've got to get organized mm. and we've got to get creative about how we get. Definitely. Ramming shit down the people's throats is not working. It hasn't worked for years. That's why these people are not coming to gigs. Mm. Original gigs, cover gigs, they're not coming to gigs. If we are to concede that, then we must concede that it at least is at part, on part our fault. Mm-hmm. Venues will want live music if they can see live music works. So yeah. we can't blame them. Punters will go where, is ex- where it's exciting, so we can't blame them. Mm. We can only blame ourselves for being too self-centered, for being too keen to do what we want to do as bands, mm. and for not following up where we may have had some successes and capitalizing on them. It is not selling out. That's a very different thing. Mm. It is about capitalizing on what people have identified works with your band. Mm. You get a couple of bands who can think like that, and especially if they can get heads butt heads together, and they can make events that are cool to go to, mm-hmm. and venues can catch on to uh, these sorts of events because bands will be on the phone going, look, I want to bring this to your event because it's really working. We can start to rebuild. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's going to be harder than it's ever been because there is a saturation of other people doing exactly the same thing and having no mm-hmm. result. But you have to come out with something creative. For people who aren't in bands, who aren't in musicians, you know, for the money you're spending, and sometimes it costs one drink, mm-hmm. if somebody has told you to go and see a band and you've never done so, I guarantee you it won't be what you think it is going to be. Mm. Go and see it. If you don't like it, don't come back. Mm-hmm. Because you know we don't want people who are not happy to be there. Exactly, yeah. But we want bands that are going to deliver the goods, mm-hmm. who they all claim to do, claim they can do. Mm-hmm. We want bands who are going to attract people and find you, the punter. But you, the punter, have to be have an open mind. You don't have to have it. Look, you don't have to come. I'm not saying come to the gig, mm-hmm. but I'm saying come to the gig <laughs> because whatever preconception, preconceived notion you have about what a live gig is going to be, it won't be that. And mm. I know this from years of going to live gigs, and it's never what I think it's going to be when you get there. Mm. But give it a chance. Who knows? It might even be more exciting than the stuff you're doing every Saturday night anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I mean, we've all got a role to play, mm. but what we cannot do is continually bash our head down the same road and expect a different result. And, and to not claim responsibility. I think that's a big one. That's the first step. Yeah. Claim responsibility saying bands are not doing what they need to do right mm. now. S- many of us probably don't have the skills to turn that around. Yeah. That doesn't mean you can't learn. Mm. You know, Your band is good. That's fantastic. Now get your motivational, your promotional, and your advertising marketing skills mm-hmm. at least a little bit up there. Yeah. Even with, the, with the, the minutest of ability, you can make a difference. 
you know, and, uh, and, and find different avenues for attracting these people. They are out there. People do not vanish. Yeah, and this, this is the perfect opportunity to, to be really innovative, I think, where you can mishmash different industries together. I, I think a friend of mine put on a, a concert at a bakery where he also sold a lot of artwork and, and made a kind of thrift shop kind of vibe and and that Beautiful. sold wonderfully because Beautiful. it was it was a cross cross pollination of the fashion industry with the art and and the actual and, music. and i guess and that that's part of that is knowing that most people who are passionate about and, and i'm assuming here but most people who are passionate about things like art and craft mm. may also be into music may be music lovers yeah. there is a connection there yeah. people who are into arts and craft and music are generally creative people and a lot of them are one and the same mm. so somebody's sat back, sat back and gone if we appeal to the arts and crafts people mm. They'll dig what we're doing as a music event. Yeah. Bang. Great idea. That's that innovation that you're probably alluding to. Yeah. Creative. You know, has anybody, you know, I mean, Facebook does it to some extent, but has anyone analyzed their, their, their audience? Mm. What age groups are they? What yeah. are they interested in? Are they mar- married? Are they single? Mm. What parts of Perth are they from? Are they from all over? Or are they, you know, f- scattered in one suburb somewhere? Mm. You need to know this stuff so that you know how you can attract mm. as many as possible with the least effort. Be, yeah. it, be it money, time, whatever. If yeah. you know everybody lives in Rockingham, don't advertise in Joondal Up. Yeah. If everybody you want to come to your gig is in Rockingham and that's all you need, that's what you need to do. Mm. But if you don't have that information and you don't know how to appeal to those people down there and mm. reach them, you're sunk. Or even worse, if you don't if you don't even want to consider the information or, or even look at it because you find that that's not an aspect that the band should be worried about. And, and maybe it isn't. Maybe mm. the band should just be focused on music. Maybe there mm. is a friend who should be taking up, and many bands do this. Oh, yeah. you don't want to know about this stuff. You know, mm. No worries, man. I'll make you posters. No worries. Yeah. You know, you notice that friends of bands always want to get involved with bands and be part of it because they want you know the free entry amongst other things, mm. but they want to be involved because it's kind of cool for them too. My mate's in a band. Mm. You know, we rely on those mates to get bands started. You know, <laughs> We do. But yeah. that, that's the thing. There's, there's all always people around you that are going to be willing to help if they're passionate about what it is that you're doing mm. they can be a punter they can be a friend doing a poster they could be a venue owner who's who's open to your idea a friend carrying gear for you i mean it all starts there that's right yeah. but, but yeah. you've got to believe in what it is that you want to pitch mm. and you have to pitch it in a way that is going to work and sometimes that just means experimentation but you've yeah. got to analyze your results you've yeah. got to know what's working what's not who is where and how we reach them mm. if, if bands can start doing that Guaranteed, you will see more people to your to your shows, mm-hmm. and if you don't, then you might want to start looking at your live performances because <laughs> it means they're coming and not coming back. Or maybe you just suck. Yeah. <laughs> Damien, thanks so much for uh, for coming down. I think it's it's no been worries. a really really cool chat. I think you've inspired me even more. <laughs> thank, thank you. Sorry for the rambling, but hey, it's you know no, it's good. It's good. That's what the podcast is here for. Yes, <laughs> no, it's been fun, mate. It's been very good. It's good yeah, to catch yeah. up with you. Definitely, many, man. Many years and you. It's it's weird. Like I never talked to you, and then. The, Finally, when I do, it's with microphones in front of us. So, <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> life, life. Um, all right, we'll uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Hopefully, you can come back another another week and well, another know, fifteen years, and we'll talk about fifteen it. <laughs> years. It's uh, actually been that long. Always, yeah. always available, mate. And, yeah, and I'm happy definitely. to do it. And I'll bring my band on, and we'll do an unplug set one night. Who knows? Any anything's yeah, all good. Anything. You just let me know, mate. Whatever. Hell yeah! It's amazing so what much. you're doing. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we'll catch you the next episode, number thirty-two. I'm not sure who we have on, but uh, yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> Thanks, Damien. Bye. Bye. The Mission Control Podcast. Changing the way you listen.